The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we're reviewing the quarter and semifinals of the New Japan Cup, previewing the New Japan Cup finals and Dominion, answering your questions, and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping a Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prostingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. Clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUPLEX at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SUPLEX. Young boy, we got lots of stuff to talk about today, man. Oh, we absolutely do. And it is so good to be back here on the ASA podcast. Uh, Before we begin, I just need to let you all know, uh, over here at Parts Unknown, the weather is definitely inclement, uh, meaning that it is storming. So if you happen to hear like a loud thundering roll, you know, that's not Rob Van Dam. That's God. (laughs) (laughs) He's the one rolling the thunder out here. And uh, you actually might see might hear the soothing sounds of rainfall, you know, across the river next to the place I'm staying at. And, uh, you know. Um, some of you might find that annoying, but if you're anything like me, you probably find that very soothing. Uh, you might even want to just like take a little sound clip of it and, you know, stretch it out, put it on repeat, <laughs> have a, have a nice little treat for yourself when you go to sleep tonight. I don't know. Yeah, it's not coming in loud in the background. So I think we should, we should be all good here. Well, it doesn't matter if we're good or not. Cause we're doing this thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's happening. Nothing I can do about it. As I said, it's God and he's undefeated. Even if, <laughs> even if Vince McMahon wants to say otherwise. <laughs> oh my gosh. Don't remind me of that freaking match. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we've got lots of stuff to talk about today. We've got new Japan cup shows to review. We've got the files of preview dominion lines, of break collision master Watto. There's so much to talk about, but I figured a good place to start with a, it's a question that we got on Twitter from at Super Mastodon. It says, throughout the tournament so far, which NJPW wrestlers have thrived well in the no-crowd atmosphere, and who were some of 
and who were some you think needed live fans for them to convey more compelling performances? Oh, that's a fantastic question because um, I think that's something I wanted us to talk about last week. We didn't do a, a good enough job kind of discussing. I'm sure it'll come up, you know, uh, as we do our reviews. But as far as, um, you know, those who have thrived, we'll start off there. The first person that comes to mind for me is Tomohiro Ishii. Yep, that's the first person I was thinking about as well. Um, you know, it, it's no secret Tomohiro Ishii is one of the best workers you know, of his generation, um, one of the most underrated guys out there. Uh, I kind of liken him to being like New Japan's Cesaro at this point, basically. Um, and the great thing with him is like, yeah, he can thrive in a setting where there's a crowd, but, you know, his offense is so visceral. His selling is, you know, so compelling. And, uh, you know, everything that he does is action-packed, the facials, the uh, – you know, the voices that he makes, like he's all around already a complete performer, but in this setting, he's one of the few guys that I think truly shines. Yeah. And, um, and it's like we've been, oh, go ahead. it's like we've been saying the formulas to, to success in these empty arena matches are either the matches are really short or they're very hard hitting. And obviously with Tomohiro Ishii, you know, Mr. Strong style himself, the guy that all he wants to do is smash. That's exactly what we got here in all his tournament matches. They were all very hard-hitting, very intense, exactly what you were saying, young boy. Yeah, and you know, my my honest opinion, I think that that's a good thought, um, but I, I don't think it necessarily is the end-all, be-all when it comes to it either needs to be short or it needs to be hard-hitting, because I think we've seen some traditional classic wrestling matches that have been pretty compelling without just strictly being like, say, a hoss fight or something of that nature. But um, it, the, the matches do need to be very action-packed, very compelling. And, you know, the things that bring it down are when they're playing to the crowd, when there is no crowd, uh, when they have spots that are designed to pop a crowd. And they're basically anticipating that we as the audience at home are that crowd. So it's like we might – they might hope and anticipate that we're responding appropriately. But there's no way to kind of know. So sometimes it's just – sort of falls flat um the second person that comes to my mind that's thriving is uh Hiromu Takahashi mm, yeah and like you mentioned yeah you know he's not necessarily as hard-hitting as say an Ishii or Nagata but he's very dynamic he's very charismatic he's, he does a lot of his offense you know his, his falcon arrows his drop kicks his, his hurricane ranas they're fast they snap hard so yeah he's not you know killing guys with forearms like Ishii, but he has, has that quickness and that, that, that dynamic movement in all his um, matches. Yeah, and I mean, it would be, we'd be remiss to kind of label him, say, just a spot monkey or something like that, because he's far from that. Um, he's clearly a very talented professional wrestler in all facets, so he, he can do chain grappling, he can do the hard-hitting stuff, he can tell stories, everything of that nature, but I think what is captivating about Hiromu Takahashi is how entertaining he is in this environment. Um, so whereas he, some people in this tournament are playing to a crowd and Hiromu has basically turned it to playing to the television audience. And there's a, there's a, a keen difference there and it has to do with the way that he's making his facials. I think the, the match with um, Toriano is a, is like a really, really good uh, example of that. Like, you know, he's still playing, but it's not to a fictional audience. It's literally to you directly at home. And, 
you and that's a it's a fine line to kind of walk, but you can tell the difference between someone who kind of gets that versus like, and I don't want to bury anybody, but I'll throw a name out there like a show. You know, show still having great matches and doing really well, but he's playing to the crowd, you know, and a lot of the guys were mm-hmm. kind of doing that to some extent because I think it's their nature. And Hiromu's kind of found a way to kind of rise above that sort of thing. Um, I think Nagata thrived in this uh, setting. Yeah. Um, anyone else come to mind for you? I mean, we only saw him one time, but Suzuki, one time in singles, we've seen the multi-man tags, but obviously the Suzuki-Nagata match was great. And I thought, you know, if Suzuki had went on, I think he would be another guy that would have thrived. Um, guys like Kojima did very well um, in this environment. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that pops in my mind. Um, well, I think we named some good names there. Let's talk about who, uh, you know, could have done better had there been a crowd, you know. Um, and I think the question was specifically who needed live fans for them to convey more compelling per- performances. Uh, I'm going to start with one that might be controversial to some folks, but Sonata. Okay. that that uh, I completely agree with that. Um, I think a lot of what Sonata does is timing-based. Okay? So, like, he has these spots that are very snappy and impressive, but they're designed to get oohs and ahs from a Japanese crowd. Right. They're, once again, like you mentioned earlier, his his matches his movements are designed for pops and so yeah he's doing all these kind of cool moves but yeah there's nobody in the arena to pop for him and obviously you know he's quote-unquote cold skull he's not you know very charismatic there's not a lot of you know facial expressions from him so you're not really getting that energy that you're say you're getting from a Hiromu Takahashi I'll throw a name out there and this person has actually been pretty fantastic in the tournament um, well, fantastic. Very good. I'll say they've been very good in the tournament and it'll be surprising for many people to hear me say their name, but I think Kazushika Okada, I knew you were going to say that. And I absolutely agree with you. Um, Okada, he's one of these guys, you know, he has that, that, you know, that main event style, those 30 minute classics where they start off slow and yep. they suck the crowd in with the story they're telling. And then you build up to that crescendo at the end, you know, that closing sequence. And then the crowd is on their seat. They're losing their mind in that energy and that atmosphere that adds to his main event matches. Well, none of that's there for these matches. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, is like he's still having really good matches and everything of that nature, but they're still about as long as they would have been regardless. And they're still worked about the same. The only difference is is he's a little more vocal. Um, The matches again are good, but he hasn't really made any real adjustments as far as I can see, uh, just from my observational eye. Yeah. To me, Um, some other the same exact match, just just no crowd there. um, I'm going to throw four names out there all at the same time because they're tied to one another. I think Abushi. I think Taichi, I think Tanahashi, and I think Zack Sabre Jr. all needed a crowd in this tournament. All four of them. Yeah. You know, thinking about Tai Chi and all the cheating and standing as he does, a lot of the ads to his matches are when the crowd is booing him and chanting, go home Tai Chi, or you have the dueling, go home Tai Chi, let's go Tai Chi chants. That adds a lot to his matches and a lot to his aura when the crowd is booing him and or getting behind him, um, Kota Ibushi, he's another guy that's you know he does all these kind of spectacular flippy moves or high impact moves that 
usually generate a big reaction from crowds. And even in his matches, you can tell that like, he was playing to crowds and he's looking to the camera and kind of firing up, looking around like he's, you know, thinking the crowd's going to uh, get behind him and fire him up, but there's nobody there. Okay. Last name I'll throw out there, and this one is a little different. I think that they fall in between these two worlds. I think that they made some really great adjustments that shone through throughout the tournament and show that they kind of get it, but their overall working of the matches still was kind of the same. So they're like, if I had to like put them on a spectrum, I would lean them more towards the, they did better with no crowd or, you know, they were able to kind of overcome that, but they were inconsistent in that sense. And that's evil. Mm. Evil is somebody who I think with his cheating, showing a mean streak, some of the antics he had, a lot of that, and then also the physical nature of his matches kind of did make him uh, pretty compelling throughout this tournament. Um, but there were times during the actual meets of the match where things didn't change. So it was sort of like, it was almost like he was like putting in spots that were designed for there to not be a crowd. But then the matches were still kind of worked the same. So I think he was someone who did well, all things considered, but also kind of fell in between, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And with Evo, and we'll talk about some of his matches here in a second, you know, they would be, you know, Evo's a hard-hitting guy, and he can wrestle that kind of never style. Like you mentioned, when you're mixing in the shenanigans of the cheating and all the chairs and the ref bumps and the, the crotch stomping and all this stuff, all that's generated to get heat and to get a crowd response, and it, it kind of takes away from all the work that he was doing in the match earlier. I actually thought most of his cheating antics were peppered in and done in a good manner. Personally, it's my take on it. And I thought that they kind of added to the fact that there was no crowd because they, they see a lot of those shots. They weren't just cheap. They were also nasty, you know, so mm -hmm. they were violent and they did a good job getting the, um, the point of the story over that he was kind of telling and it was kind of low-key all throughout the uh tournament what i kind of mean is more like the actual way he was working the matches the tone the pace the length some of that kind of need to be worked on if that makes sense yeah um but yeah so that's a great question uh thank you mastodon or super mastodon and um you know jeremy uh what have you been watching this uh tournament on I've been using the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. has great features like dark mode, improved translations, layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much, much more. It will take your NJPW World experience to the next level. Visit NJPWEXT.us today to deta for details. I'm telling you guys, you want to use the extension when you're watching New Japan World. Yeah, man, we, we 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 don't point you guys in the in the wrong di uh, direction. If we give you guys a recommendation, it, it's not because like we're benefiting from it. It's because it's actually really really good. And trust me, do yourself a favor. Go on like Amazon Fire Stick or like Fire TV and try to use that app, and then compare it to Danny's, and you will see a world of difference. I'm <laughs> telling you. Um, yeah, I mean those. New Japan should be paying this guy, literally. Yeah. So let's talk about these nights here. So first night, we got to review. Here's, here's one thing I want to say. So we've got how many nights? we got three nights plus the Lions Break Collision. Plus, we've gotten more questions than I can remember in a really long time. Plus, a preview for two shows coming up. So what I think we should do is while we do review these, 
I think we need to keep it a little short because we already have, you guys know us, we got those Okado mega four esque, <laughs> you know, episodes that go super long. And if we, if we do the super in-depth analysis on every single match here, we'll be here all night. So I think we should keep it on the short side, but definitely I want to jump into these. Definitely agree. So we'll start here at night six. So we had a second round match here. Yoshihashi defeating Bushi 10 minutes and 22 seconds. What do you think here? You know, good time. Um, surprisingly, this is one of the matches that I think we were dismissive of last week. And I kind of wanted to, like going into it, I did not have high expectations. I thought these guys really delivered. Um, not going to sit here and call it a classic by any means. But, um, and it wasn't even, I don't think, as good as Yoshihashi and say Tenzan. But as far as just having a good, solid opening round match um, with Bushi getting looking really good and getting a lot of hope spots, I thought this was a good match. Yeah, it was a solid opener. I mean, not too much to complain about. Um, just two guys kind of going out there, doing their thing. And, yeah, it was, it was a good little match. Gentlemen's three, a good way to kick off the show. Nothing egregious, nothing bad. Nothing, it wasn't great or anything, but still a solid matchup. And uh, Yoshi, yeah, I think just the the time because I, I I just think because the the time was so short, it didn't leave a sour taste in my mouth. I would have gone even a little higher than that, like three and a quarter, even. Yeah, yeah. Yoshiashi ends up he picks the win up with the karma and puts Bushi away here. Nice. So then we move on to Sonata defeating Sho, fourteen minutes and forty three seconds. Um, really, really good match. Um, this was something that we last week when we talked about it, we didn't know what this match would exactly look like. You know, we had, we thought it could have a high aptitude, but it also could be clunky just given the styles of these guys. And I think both of them went in there and put in a great performance. Um, the star of this match to me was show though. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And you know, a lot of times we talk about with Sonata, he kind of wrestles, to the level of the guys in there with and what we've seen with show in this tournament, you know, he's, he's really hungry. We saw the fight he brought to Shingo and yeah, I thought, yeah, show was definitely kind of the standout here and kind of overshadowed Sonata for me personally. I think Sonata played his role perfectly in helping to make show look good. I'm not saying show on his own isn't great. He is, but I think Sonata had a lot to do with giving to show and making him look good, which is a hallmark of a great wrestler. But man, show. Um, you know, we talked. We've talked in the past about people talking about his aptitude and how far he can go. And you know, there's a lot of people who think that he could be a major player in the heavyweight division in the future. And you know, the things we've always talked about being a, a big detriment to him is his height and the frame of his body. Um, even though he's jacked, he's not the biggest guy out there. But in these past two matches with uh, Shingo and then now with Sonata, he still he's got so much star quality and so much fire. That um, it just seems to me like he might even be able to overcome those two handicaps that we talked about and really actually be a big player down the line in this division. Yeah. One thing I would like to kind of see in a lot of his matches in, in this match, too, he was working on the arm of Sonata and was all in Chingo. He's working on the arm and goes for this arm bar. But he never really kind of wins of an arm submission. He always ends up winning with the shock arrow, you know, stuff pile driver. So in the future, I would like to see him kind of develop some kind of arm submission that that's is like his secondary finisher that he actually wins off of from this arm work. Jeremy, you knave. How how could you not understand the story that they're telling here? He's weakening their arms so that he can put the shock arrow on. Obviously, God. Uh my my bad. 
<laughs> I, I should have I seen that. He also, it's because Sonata puts on the, the skull end and he's trying to take away his biggest weapon. God, it's like day one with you here today. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> amateur, <laughs> no, amateur hour over here. Amateur hour. No, I agree. I think show, um, you know, if you're going to work a body part, there should be some sort of aim for it. And, uh, you know, Daniel Bryan works the arm. Why? Because he's going to put on, you know, the, the label lock. I mean, it would make sense for show to have some sort of go-to submission of some sort, you know? Yeah, that actually wins matches. He, he does arm bar. He does Kimuras, but he never gets a win off of them. I'll tell you who can win with an arm bar. Rocky Romero. Like when he mm. tapped out that punk ELP last year <laughs> in the Super Juniors. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, this was uh, a pretty good match. I was like three and a half on this. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd, I'd go about the same. Um, after that, we had a tag team match. Uh, Tetsuya Naito, Shingo Takagi, and Hiromu Takahashi defeated the team of Tomohiro Ishii, Toru Yano, and Yota Suji. And uh, I thought this match was pretty good. I like the teams that they have here. But the cool thing is, you know, with Hiromu, um, he's got a match coming up against Ishii, and he just faced off against Toru Yano. So there's a little bit of that kind of element played into this match. And then um, the cool thing here was, you know, earlier in the tournament, Shingo didn't want to, uh, you know, put the fist up with the rest of LIJ. But now he's out of the tournament. Everything's gravy. He's putting the fist up with Naito <laughs> and uh, Hiromu. Yeah, he's like, my, my bad. I lost. We straight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the, the funny thing about this matchup, um, Hiromu wanted to start with Ishii. But uh, Yano wanted to start with Hiromu, but Hiromu wasn't having any of that. So that was kind of you know, yeah. some callbacks to the, to the previous tournament match and Hiromu trapping Yano in the elevator. So that was kind of funny until eventually we got to the moment where Ishii and Hiromu got in and got a little preview of the Night 7 matchup. But overall, uh, a fun little tag match. It was a spot where uh, Naito botched uh, in the corner doing his little um, kick thing that he does, a little float over kick thing. This man was slipping out here. No, see, what happened was Suji had a corner man who was putting Vaseline on his chest in preparation for that. Mm. This is a Grease Gate Part 2. Um, <laughs> I've heard that the IWGP is actually looking into the allegations against Yota Suji regarding this. Mm. Well, there's a lot of stuff they need to be looking into in these matches. So <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we see some success in this case against Suji. We can get some other cases looked at by these IWGP officials. When I have my wrestling promotion, we're gonna um, do like how the UFC puts on the uh, the uh, you know the the corner put the Vaseline on the fighters. That's what we're gonna that's what they're gonna do before they start wrestling. <laughs> but it's gonna be uh, officials from my company, so it won't be their actual like fight people. It'll be my guys, and they'll they'll make sure it's done properly. Mm. Yeah. So uh, moving on to the next matchup here, we had a second round match between Taichi and Kota Ibushi. And they are both accompanied by their tag team partners, Taichi accompanied by Saber, and Ibushi accompanied by Tanahashi. Okay. So 18 minutes and 8 seconds. It's a pretty long time period, especially in the um, you know, empty arena era of New Japan. And I saw a lot of really high regards and reviews for this match. I got to tell you, this didn't land with me, man. Am I missing something when it comes to these Tai Chi and Ibushi matches? Because I don't, I haven't liked any of them in the tournament. So this is what I liked about this match. I just, I liked the the physicality and the brutality of when they were kicking each other. The parts mm-hmm. where they were actually wrestling each other. But yeah, those those kick exchange, that that spot where they were exchanging kicks was awesome. And I was into that part. 
The problem is all shenanigans that come around the action with Saber getting involved. Tanahashi trying to fight off Saber, then Taichi attacking Tanahashi, and ref bumps and all this stuff. And then, you know, Taichi ends up getting the win, uh, hitting um, Ibushi with the iron fingers. It's like all that shenanigans, all that stuff. It's like, man, like you can tell with them just wrestling and hitting the crap out of each other. Like it was good until up in that part, but all the interference kind of got in the way of all that. Yeah, and I see what they're doing. They're trying to elevate Tai Chi while also establishing that he's cheating to beat, you know, top, you know, ranked contenders like Tanahashi and Ibushi and everything. So I get it. I think there's a smarter way to do what they're doing. I also think that these matches are going a little too long, personally. And in fact, I wanted to talk about that last week. We didn't really get a chance to discuss it. I think, generally speaking, the matches in New Japan might be going a little bit too long in this uh, in this period of time. Now, I get why they do because they're, you know, there's a hierarchy in New Japan. So, you know, if someone loses but they went five minutes and lost versus say fifteen minutes and lost or or something like that, that's a big difference, you know, because it kind of tells you how strong their fighting spirit is and how tough of a challenge it was and things of that nature. And I get that, but I think there needs to be some adjustments that are made because some of these matches, in my opinion, are losing me in this tournament as even as enjoyable as the tournament has been given the circumstances. Um, I don't think this needed to go 18 minutes at all. Um, and I think a lot of the matches in this tournament needed to be shortened up. I, I don't know what your thoughts are. No, yeah, I definitely agree with you. I, d- I definitely think overall, I'm sure if you, you average up the match times, I'm sure a lot of these matches or the average would probably be in that you know 15 to 20 minute range. And I don't think they should have been all that long. Um, a lot of these matches could have just been like 10 to 12 minutes, especially a match like Tai Chi and Ibushi where there is going to be so much shenanigans and the finish is going to come off of using the iron claws. It definitely could have gone shorter with this match. And I'm not opposed to the way they're booking Tai Chi or the antics. I'm just um, opposed to the timing and the application that's being presented here. They're working the match as if it's in front of a crowd. And I know that works with some matches, like we talked about, Show Shingo. That works regardless, either way. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah. This doesn't work so well in front of no crowd. So uh, I did like some of the physicality, but I thought it was the match was a little slow. Um, I think it, sometimes for some fans, it's sort of like whatever. For a lot of people, the way a match ends is sort of the last feeling they're left with. And so that's how they kind of grade. But for me, I try to take a more holistic approach. And I couldn't call this like a uh, personally. And I know a lot of people thought that that was the match of the night for some reason. I didn't like it as much as, say, Show Sonata, personally. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of focus in on the brutality. I mean, I was a little bit higher on this match. I was like in the three and a half range uh, with this match as well. And, yeah, like the action, I, I really loved their kick exchange and the fire they had during those moments when they were exchanging strikes. But all the other shenanigans just kind of threw it off. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen that Tai Chi can do that. Uh, there's ample evidence from the previous year. And I'm not saying he needs to go out there and do that because that's not the story they're trying to tell exclusively, but I would like to see more of it than what we're getting right now, because it's sort of like we're getting the old Tai Chi, which I'm not a huge fan of. Um, I think that there could be a blending of the two. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I get it. Cheat. You need to cheat, cheat, but do it creatively, do it entertainingly. 
you know, don't drag this thing out and, you know, entertain while you're wrestling. I mean, there's no one to get heat off of in the, in, in the, in the audience. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's my thoughts. But, um, uh, you know, I think we're the ones who called last week that we thought Tai Chi, you know, neither of us had it on our brackets, but once we kind of saw how the cards were laying out, it made all the sense in the world from the go Tai Chi here. Yeah. And one other positive I'll say about Tai Chi, man, his back suplexes have been nasty this whole tournament. Um, he's given Jay White some competitions for, you know, nasty Saito suplex. Um, yeah, I think he's had a really good one for a while now. I, I would agree. So then we move on to the main event of the evening, which was Evil defeating Hiroki Goto, 18 minutes and 25 seconds. Yeah, so I stand corrected here. I thought uh, New Japan would go the tried and true method and go with Goto. Uh, they kind of threw a curveball to me. This was kind of what I feel like was at the time a toss up, you know, kind of like a 65, you know, 45 type of situation. It could have gone either way. But, um, yeah, Evil pulling it out. I mean, were you surprised here? Or? No, not really. I mean, Evil was the guy I had, I had circle here. I was expecting Evil to beat Goto. I just figured you would need at least one LIJ versus LIJ matchup somewhere in this tournament with all those members being in it. And But I wasn't expecting what we've been seeing from Evil, though, with all the kind of cheating and doing whatever it takes to win, which we saw here, really saw here in this match with Goto. Yeah, Um Evil's first round match, I don't recall who it was against. Oh, it was Kojima, right? Right, where he cheated. He had to uh, use a chair on the strongest arm. That's right. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. Because uh, there's we, we've covered a lot of matches here. So he did cheat in that match. And then in this match, um, I if I recall, I remember there was a ref bump. But, I mean, was there – and I know he used a chair on the outside. But was there any explicit cheating here aside from those two things? Well, so the ref bump towards the finish, he stomped Goto in the crotch. That's right. Okay, so not only was there a ref bump, but he took advantage and really, you know, bent the rules, went outside and kind of was, you know, which I like that because here's the thing. When you look at what LIJ is, a lot of fans today think LIJ are good guys. I don't think LIJ really are good guys, if you want my honest opinion. I think at this point in time, they've kind of been like tweeners, you know, kind of remind me. I'm not saying in style or or attitude, but they kind of fulfill a similar role to like what DX was in like summer of 98. Like they're not good guys or bad guys. They're kind of in between. They're tweeners. Like, yeah, they're they're anti-heroes. But when you think about the history of lij and their roots and what naito was when they first broke out in like what 2015 2016 um he was someone who was doing whatever it took to win his matches and there was a lot of cheating and there was a lot of you know um you know breaking the rules and evil's kind of doing that here in this tournament and kind of showing that he's willing to do whatever it takes to get what's in front of him and you know i don't necessarily have a problem with that or evil cheating especially if he's you know they're going for more of a heel evil here my problem with all the cheating is on a show where the literally the match before it had a bunch of ref bumps and shenanigans and interference and you follow that with another match that has a lot of cheating um and ref bumps and uh you know a screwy finish yeah i don't disagree at all 
Um, and this isn't even to really contradict you, but what I will say is at least with this match, we got some really great action. You know, it's kind of what I was talking about with uh, Ibushi and Taichi. I wish Taichi and Ibushi had given a similar level of physicality and effort mixed in with the cheating. Whereas like Evil and Goto, we got a very high level of physicality. It was a good match. It just happened to have you know, more cheating in it and that sort of thing. And you're absolutely right. Like it might not have been the best idea to have two matches back to back on the same night, having similar events take place. Yeah. Like if maybe another match had happened before that where there wasn't a clean finish, maybe I wouldn't have been quite as frustrated at the finish of this uh, evil Goto match, but I understand the story that they're telling and why that finish had to be done. I think one thing, and this is the last thing I'll say here. um, Some people felt, like this might have been them trying to protect Goto. And I think the thing with evil is um, they weren't the, 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 well, we were listening to it in Japanese. So I don't even know if like the uh, Kevin Kelly was picking up on this or pointing it out, but I didn't see a lot of chatter out there about people saying, this is the story. Evil is being evil. I didn't really see that until night, like till the third round. That's when I saw people start picking up on it. So I, I did see people being like, why are they doing this? Goto doesn't need to be protected. And it's like they weren't protecting Goto, even though it does in a sense protect him. But that's more of a byproduct. The story is that evil is being evil. <laughs> right. And I was kind of in that that uh, frame of mind after, right after watching this match. I really hadn't pieced together that evil was cheating so much in every match. And I was just frustrated. I was like, we've seen evil beat Goto clean before. Goto has eaten plenty of you know, pins before, like, why did this go, does Evil need to cheat to beat Goto? But yeah, then you, then you see the Sonata match, and you think back to all the matches, and you're like, oh, they're telling a story here. Yeah, and you know what, I didn't pick up on it either, so it wasn't like I was some sort of, like, brainiac who was picking up on it. I didn't notice it, because it was kind of low-key, the way that they were doing it, and that's that's a good thing, because now we're able to look back and be like, oh, look how smart the booking of this company is. And that's something as a fan that you have to appreciate because oftentimes we think we know everything that's going to happen and clearly we don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we had a question here from at M underscore Chevalier on Twitter asks, which tournament has more ref bumps and cheating BS, New Japan Cup 2020 or Survivor Series 1998? Hashtag NJPW Deadly Game. (laughs) Um, You know, it's been a really long time since I watched that deadly games tournament but i've got to imagine the deadly games tournament has more but that's just because that's my bias i I could be wrong i don't know yeah it's been a quite a minute since i've watched um deadly games 98 i don't even remember that being i don't think it was a good tournament it's it's one of those one night pay-per-view tournaments and it's like 32 or 16 men or whatever it's i remember the rock and uh mankind is a decent you know finale but i don't think the tournament's very good yeah (laughs) all right so now we're gonna move on to night seven which kicked off with a banger in the quarterfinal before we before we bring that up i just want to say i was not happy that they had a single elimination tournament on survivor series give me the five on five elimination match (laughs) god teams of five strive to survive baby come on (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's let's get into night seven so yeah night seven opened up for a banger in the quarterfinals we had hiromu takahashi getting the big upset win over the stone pitbull tomohiro ishii 19 minutes and 12 seconds yeah um this was a 
probably when the brackets were first dropped for the second iteration of the New Japan Cup this year, a lot of people had this like circled as like, if this goes right and this goes right and this goes right and this goes right, then maybe we might get Ishii and Hiromu. And uh, thank God it, it all worked out exactly the way it needed to. And that's, that's what we ended up with. And, um, you know, many people are calling this the match of the tournament. I'm even seeing people say it is a match of the year contender. I got to tell you, Jeremy, I'm nowhere near that kind of hyper, uh, hyperbolic praise right now, period. But I think it was one of the top matches of the tournament. Just fantastic. Yeah, I absolutely love this match. I was literally standing up through the end of this match. Like, this match was just so great to me. I loved it. I was really high on this match. And, you know, it's one of those things we talked about last week. It's like we thought the more the more compelling option would be to have Hiromu to win. You get a fresh matchup with Hiromu Okada in the next round. But it was one of those things like, well, it's New Japan, and typically in a big spot, the heavyweight's going to be the junior, especially a guy like Ishii. And so when Hiromu hit that time bomb, too, and got the win, I was ecstatic and just couldn't believe they actually went with it and had Hiromu win. Yeah, fantastic match. It proves exactly what I've been saying for how many years we've been doing this show now? Three, almost? Almost three, yeah. In uh, November, I think it'll be three. So I've been coming up in almost three years of telling you all that Ishii is a junior and we need him (laughs) in this junior division. And this proved my point emphatically. (laughs) Oh this man God. put on a banger with Takahashi, put on a banger with Desperado. Can you imagine what this guy would do in the Super Junior Tournament? Bro, Bandito and Tomohiro Ishii, come on. Like, my God. Dragon Lee, come on. Oh, dude. Uh, <laughs> yes, give me that Dragon Lee Ishii match. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, Dragon Lee and ELP, sign me up. My God. Because <laughs> he will murder ELP. <laughs> but uh no in all seriousness though this match was just really fantastic um very high pace hard hitting excellent selling from both guys crazy physicality um and one of the smartest things about it is that um you know i was watching this with my girlfriend and she these are two of her favorite guys in the promotion and when hiromu hit his first uh time bomb and then Ishii kicked out. And then I think, what, did he hit him with the second one and he kicked out again? No, so I think a lot of people confuse this. So he hit the Dynamite Plunger Plunger. first, then the Time Bomb one. I am guilty of doing that, but that's not what I was doing here. I just couldn't recall if he did one of each or two of the uh, Time Bomb. I just couldn't remember. Um, But once he hit him with the Dynamite Plunger and then the Time Bomb and then Ishii kicked out, because she's so accustomed to Western wrestling, she's like, oh... Ishii is definitely winning now. And I knew watching a lot of Perezu, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> but I still was like on the edge of my seat. I was like kind of pacing around the apartment because I was freaking out. <laughs> and then when he put him up for the dynamite plunger and or uh, for the time bomb too, and then he and then he dropped him, and I was just like, bow, he dropped him. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, he beat him. He's yeah, like, there's no way. And then he did beat him, and she's like, oh. They made Ishii look strong because he kicked out of so many moves. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. We have a winner. That's exactly what they did here. And you notice Hiromu never kicked out of any brain buster, you know? Yeah. Um, And that's something that, like, in the West, 
a lot of fans are predisposed to thinking that in order for a match to get to the next level and be a true classic, you need that Shawn Michaels Undertaker formula finisher, kick out, finisher, kick out, finisher, kick out. And there's a time and place for that, and that's great. But not every match needs to be that way. And you can have a really high level, compelling match without guys spamming their finishers. And that's New Japan's great at it. This is a prime example. Yeah. And also the story here with Ishii being the quote unquote heavyweight here. A lot of his strikes were hard, more hard-hitting. His moves were, you know, taking up more damage to Hiromu. And Hiromu literally had to throw everything he had at Ishii. He even hit Ishii with his own brain buster to try and put him away. Dyn- That's right. <laughs> yeah, dynamite plunger, time bomb one. He threw the D out there, that triangle choke. Um, yeah. And then he finally had to pull out his super finisher, the time bomb two, which he um, debuted at Wrestle Kingdom this year to defeat Will Ospreay. Um, it took that to to take out the Stone Pitbull. Yeah, and here's the thing: um, if you're watching this and you're like, "Oh, clearly Hiromu can go with the heavyweights," it's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> because think of it from a kayfabe sense. Tomohiro Ishii is a very strong, very tough competitor for anybody on any given night, but he's one of the lower echelon, upper mid card guys. You know what I mean? And Hiromu had to bust out everything that he had to put him away, which would tell you that nine times out of t- or like you know if they these guys fought ten times, I don't know if Hiromu beats him eight of those times, seven of those times, four of those times. This seemed like this might be like the one time out of ten that he could have hypothetically quote unquote beaten him. You know what I mean? Right. Ishii could very well, in the kayfabe sense, have beaten this guy maybe, say, nine times out of ten if he just got the the uh, the brain buster on. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, it wasn't like Ishii was pulling out all the stops to beat Takahashi, but Takahashi's pulling out all the stops. So it's like he got the win. It mattered. It counted. It's a big deal. But there's still a gap between the top-level heavyweights and where Hiromu's at. Like, he's a threat, but he's not quite there yet. And so he's got a goal to kind of aim for. You know what I mean? Right. And I think we'll see that in, in his next matchup when we get to that in a second. But we, yeah. We, go ahead. Oh, I was just screaming with you. I was saying, uh, yeah, I agree. But yeah, so we have a question here from at Chris underscore Ertz on Twitter. It says, after seeing Hiromu almost kill himself taking that bump versus Ishii, is it unfortunately not a question of if, but when he'll break his neck again? And do you think he can alter his in-ring style to avoid the inevitable ca- catastrophe? I generally fear for his life. Well, um, you know, here's what I'll say. Um, fearing for, you know, to, uh, Hiromu's life because of the way he wrestles isn't necessarily unwarranted. But because of the fact of his neck injury, um, I don't know if that is necessarily warranted. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know all the details about the surgery that he had and and everything they're kind of hush hush. But from what I understand, this is just my understanding. It wasn't like he got a spinal stenosis the way that say like edge and stone cold and Lita and all those. And like Kurt angle got, you know what I mean? Right. Um, from what I've heard, and maybe you know more about this, Jeremy than I do. He's supposed to be 100% at this point and is no more at risk right now than he was prior to the injury. Um, and I gotta tell you, I think he has altered his style. I do think he's doing a lot of dangerous things, 
safely, uh, I'll add, I don't think I've like cringed too much personally watching Hiromu. I mean, he hasn't had a lot of matches back, but I think he's been generally as safe as possible given the style of wrestling he does. Um, I know what he's talking about. What he's talking about when he he took a uh, a lariat, right? Yeah, Ishii lariated him, and he did a head bump. It wasn't even really a head bump. He took a lariat, and he was gonna do like the the flip over cell, like a flip bump, and he just didn't get all of it. I mean, that could happen to anybody. That has nothing to do with his wrestling style. It just has more to. I mean, that it was a long match. It was a hard match. I'm sure he was probably gassed to some some degree, and um. He just didn't get all of it, you know. But yeah, and I agree with you. I do think if you watch this tournament particularly, like he does, he has altered his style based before the injury. I don't think he's doing as crazy stuff as he was doing before the injury. Yeah, I mean, and he and here's the thing: wrestling is dangerous. So, I mean, could you fear for somebody's life because they wrestle a, a high octane style? Absolutely. But I mean, I haven't seen too many things where I'm thinking this is any more dangerous than anyone else that's out there you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i've definitely seen him do way crazier things prior to the injury than he's doing right now you know the stuff he did in mexico the stuff he did in the super junior tournaments back in the day he's not really do- he, he's claimed he hasn't altered his style but i'll tell you right now he absolutely has yeah absolutely he has like he's doing generally pretty safe stuff i think the, i mean what's he doing that's so dangerous he, he does a sunset dive to the outside he does a senton off the top rope where he's got a guy spotting him. I don't know, man. It, it, it It's wrestling. Everything they do is very dangerous. Yeah. So any other final thoughts on Hiromu and Ishii? I would have gone four and a half on this one. Um, I do think... I think one thing is a lot of people are saying, like, match the year contender, match the year contender. And I'm like... I could I see what you're saying when you say match the year quote unquote contender, but for serious contention, there's no way. There's no way. When you consider like all the matches at Wrestle Kingdom and everything that happened at New Beginning prior to the um <laughs> to COVID, like there's nothing in this tournament that touches that stuff yet. Uh really great stuff in this tournament, but just and this might be the best. I'll tell you personally, I didn't like this as much as Nagata Suzuki still. But that's my personal taste. I mean, if I wouldn't argue with you if you said this was better. But um, I see people throwing out four and three quarters, five stars, match of the year. And I'm not going to argue too hard on the four and three quarters thing, but match of the year? There's no way. <laughs> yeah, I, I was one of the four and three quarters people. And like I was like four and a half, and then Hiromu won. And I was like, screw it. Here's, <laughs> here's an extra quarter star. <laughs> Jeremy's like, I ain't no coward. I'm going to throw a quarter on it. <laughs> oh, See, man. I would have gone a four and three quarters if someone bled. If if there's a mm. blade, if someone juiced, then absolutely I'd go higher. Should have been like our recommended match of the week last week. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, this was great. Um, the only thing was the re- it, this was such a high standard. I don't think the rest of the night could live up to it. Right. So let's uh, keep going on here. So next up, we had Evil defeating Yoshihashi in two minutes. I loved it. I loved this so much. Now, one thing we did not mention, and we needed to, Yoshihashi injured himself pretty bad in that match with Bushi. Um, I remember what happened, sort of. It was a spot where he was coming out of the – he was running into the corner, 
and he came off the corner and like did he twerked his knee and it looked really bad and it was not too far off from the end of the match. Do you you recall exactly what happened? I don't remember it spot for spot for spot, but yeah, that was kind of the, the gist of what you just said. I when I when I saw the way he came down, I think he was supposed to come down on t- on both his feet and he came down on one of the his knee and his knee kind of bent and it looked really nasty and I was like, "Oh, he, he's hurt." But then he worked the rest of the match and finished. And I was like, oh, I guess he's fine. Yeah. And then he came out the next night. And so I hadn't looked into this. And I was not aware he was injured going into the match with Evil. But uh, apparently he was. And they took full advantage of that because Evil beat the shit out of Yoshihashi (laughs) and squashed him. Yeah, this was a squash match. Beat him up, attacked the injured knee, locked in the Scorpion death lock, and uh, got a submission win here. And I think, did he not attack him before the bell with the chair? Yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, he attacked so again, the knee, his knee with the chair. Evil, putting people out, putting them out of the business, <laughs> cheating, showing, you know, ruthless aggression out here. My God. Yeah, it was pretty great. Um, I like this side of Evil, and, you know, I'm all for Yoshihashi. After he put in two mega strong performances, he gets squashed? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm all for that. <laughs> Yeah, this was a pretty good squash here, and you know, in a way, quote unquote, good storytelling. Obviously, attacking the the injured leg and um, getting the quick win. Favorite squash in New Japan since uh, Hiromu and Kushida. Not quite, <laughs> not not quite to that same level, but I mean, it's been a while. This one was good. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Fav- no, sorry, take that back. Favorite squash since uh, Kushida got rolled up by. Um, Taguchi? Taguchi, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that like 30 seconds, something like that? He beat him in like 12 seconds or some yeah. shit. It was something crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, so so Evil moves on. And, uh, you know, so we've got uh, uh, Hiromu moving on in the A block, Evil moving on the B block, and then we come upon our uh, tag team match in the middle of the card. we got Naito, Shingo, and Bushi taking on Goto, Sho, and Yuya Uemura. Um, nine minutes, 34 seconds, fine match. Let me ask you, Jeremy, are you getting tired of these LIJ multi-man matches in the middle of the card? Yeah, it's just kind of like, it's just kind of there. And you know, on this show, we've, we always kind of praise these LIJ multi-man matches. They're always pretty good, but I don't know. I'm just kind of like, it's just kind of, they're obviously, they're, they're setting up Shingo and show for Dominion. They're getting some fuel to the fire there, but there's nothing really going on with the rest of the matchup there. With the guys involved and just kind of like, eh. One thing I was kind of anticipating was that during these matches, they might involve potential challengers who were maybe on an off night. You know what I mean? So right. I know on this night you couldn't do that because everyone was involved. But on the other nights, you know, we might see Okada and, you know, Naito kind of jawjacking, or we might see some, um, you know, kind of tension between Sonata and Naito or Evil and Naito or whatever. We haven't really gotten that. Like Naito's just kind of been there just being Naito and these matches have all been about the other feuds and the stuff going on in the in the tournament and like Naito's just the third guy. Right. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. I will so, say I don't know. this this was fine. I will say, uh, I thought Yu Yamura looked really good, and he showed a lot of fire um, battling with Shingo, and I want to see a Shingo Yamura singles match now. <laughs> Dude, we're at a point where, like, 
I know we always say stuff like this and it's like hyperbole, but it's like, bro, who's the weak link right now in the young lions classes? I mean, you got Gabriel kid, you got Yamora, you got Suji, you got Narita, <laughs> you know, Coglin, Connors. I mean, all of these guys are freaking incredible. Like they're all studs. Like I, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So yeah, Bushi ends up getting the win. He's like this cool kind of fire break, uh, fireman carry code breaker thing onto Yumura to get the win. And then post match, uh, Shingo's holding up both the never title and the never six man title, asking Show which one does he want. Show wants the never title. Uh, Shingo tries to hit Show with the title, uh, but Show duck, close on him, and uh, got the advantage over Shingo. Yeah, fuck you, Shingo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, After that, we had a highly anticipated matchup here. Uh, Ace of the company, Kazushika Okada, taking on uh, the Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori. 16 minutes and 52 seconds. Yeah, this match didn't quite live up to what I was hoping it could be. Bro, just say it dis- It was a disappointment. Yeah. Bro, it was like a three-star match, which is fine, but it's 16 minutes long. What's the rule, Jeremy? If you're if it's gonna be three stars, it has to be short. Yeah, bro. If you have a three minute a, a three star match, you better keep it short. The longer that your three three star match goes out, the worse it actually is. And I mean, they literally went sixteen fifty two. How how the fuck did Taiji Shimori and Gabriel Kidd have a better match than Kazushiko Okada and Taiji Shimori? I don't know, man. And <laughs> like, I thought some of the the wrestling. When they're actually wrestling each other, it was really good. But then once again, you had a lot of shenanigans and cheating. You had Gato coming out there um, with a, a nightstick or a pipe or whatever the heck he had to um, attack Okada. It's like, oh, here we go again. More cheating. And I get it. Ishimori's a heel. He's way smaller than Okada. He needed to cheat to get the advantage. But I just didn't think Ishimori was as dynamic as he normally was. And at the skill level of both of these guys, they had the ability to have a, a much better match than they did. And maybe part of that was not having a crowd there. But, yeah, I was, I was let down here. I don't know what a part of it was. Um, I think it could definitely be that there was no crowd. Uh, we talked about that earlier. And I think this is a key indication of that. Now, I know we're burying the match a little bit. Let me just be clear. It was not by any means a bad match. Uh, technically, it was wrestled well. It just wasn't exciting, you know? And um, I never really bought into any idea that Okada was any sort of real trouble here, which makes sense from a kayfabe standpoint. I mean, Ishimori is one of the top competitors in, in um, the junior division, but he's also one of the smallest guys out there. <laughs> yeah. And um, that definitely plays a role in the booking of New Japan. Um, I just kind of thought we'd see a story where he'd be utilizing his speed and his physical attributes to kind of befuddle um, Okada. I know he's the heel and needs to get heat, but there's a way they could have done that. Instead, it actually he was getting he got a ton of heat on Okada throughout the match, if I recall correctly. Right, and like you mentioned and, earlier, and, there's no crowd to get heat from. <laughs> Right, and and again, you can do a heat segment. There's nothing wrong with doing a heat segment. It's fine. It's just the way you do it. This was actually somewhat reminiscent of 
what happened with um, Gato in the first round. Like, it wasn't quite that level, but it was just kind of there. And this was a match that a lot of people, that I think what sucks about it, you know, we can come out here and complain all day about a match that doesn't deliver that we might see, you know, once a year, once every couple years, you know. Uh, for instance, like Zack Sabre and, and Ibushi, for example. We can complain about that. That's fine. They didn't have the best outing. But we know they're going to wrestle a ton of times again. No big deal. But when you kind of have this one unique thing, I don't know if Okada and, and Ishimori will ever wrestle in a singles match ever again. Probably won't. Yeah. They probably never will. So it's like you have this really cool opportunity to do something really fun. I'm not saying this needed to be a match of the year or anything, but dude, come on. This it just kind of was deflating for me. Um yeah. And uh you know, um Okada won again. L O L Okada wins. Yeah, and uh let's talk about the move that he's been using recently, this mm. new submission hold. The uh the quote unquote uh Cobra Clutch, not Cobra Clutch. <laughs> yeah, so let's be very clear here. Um, so a Cobra Clutch, how do I describe So this is not a Cobra Clutch. It's similar to a Cobra Clutch, but it's not. It's almost um, literally, if you want to picture the uh, Anaconda Vice, this is the Anaconda Vice, but instead of having the person laid on, a, uh, on their back, you have them in a seated position. It's the same move as the Anaconda Vice. No one's saying it. I I feel like I'm the only person that I know that has really made that uh, um, observation. But I don't know if you, have you noticed that, Jeremy? Think about it for a second. It is the Anaconda yeah, Vice. We talked about this last week. Yeah, it, lo- it looks very similar. It pretty much looks like the Anaconda Vice. Um, I think initially what threw me off, I knew that he had been using the Cobra Clutch before. And I just saw him stop and hold on. I, I automatically assumed, all right, it's the Cobra Clutch. Um, and it's, it's not the traditional Sergeant Slaughter Cobra Clutch. I know some people are calling it an inverted Cobra Clutch. On the Milano commentary, they've been calling it a Cobra Clutch. The website called it a Cobra Clutch. Even Okada himself calls it a Cobra Clutch in the backstage promos. Well, you know, that's not a bad idea to call it an inverted Cobra Clutch. I guess you could call it that, but it's not. I mean, a Cobra Clutch is basically a version of the Kata Hajime, which is a, a judo chokehold. It's a real thing. Um, I remember watching um, <laughs> uh, Inception like a decade ago, and there's this scene where Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, they're like floating around in midair, and he grabs this guy, and he puts him in the Cobra Clutch and chokes him out. <laughs> um, so, I mean, so that's a real, actual, legit hold if you want to apply it correctly. This is also a legit hold if you want to apply it correctly, but it's not the same because you're not – he's not pulling the guy's arm across his throat and applying – uh, pressure to the carotid artery using his arm. He's actually taking the arm and throwing it backwards like a top wrist lock and then choking him with his shoulder. So it's not it's not a Cobra Clutch. It's not the same move at all. I know it looks kind of similar, but they're not the same move unless you just want to call it a version of a Cobra Clutch. Yeah. But kind of like how you might call Shawn Michaels' version of a figure four, a figure four, but it's clearly not a figure four. <laughs> yeah, you remember that? You remember that shitty, weird, like side <laughs> figure four he does? Yeah, it's not a figure four. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, that's my final thought. I mean, I was disappointed here. Okada uh, beat Ishimori. I think the big story here is Okada has hit the has not hit the rainmaker on anybody in the tournament. He has choked everybody out with this new hundred billion yen dream, <laughs> and um. 
he moves on to the semifinals. Yeah, and, you know, in the backstage promos, he's pretty much been saying, you know, he still believes in the Rainmaker, but he believes in his Cobra Clutch, and he uh, wants to use that to get the victories here. So he, he says at the right time, the Rainmaker will come out. But, yeah, using his this uh, Clutch submission hold here. Hey, all uh, you know, hats off to him. I remember when two years ago when he started using the actual Cobra Clutch, and um, we waited for him. To, we thought, remember, he was busting that out just before his match with Naito at the Tokyo Dome, and then they had the match, and he never used it. Yeah, because like the last uh, Road to Tokyo Dome, he like choked out Bushi right in front of Naito with it, and we're like, oh, he, this is gonna be the big he was, spot. <laughs> he was choking everybody out with it, yeah. and then he never used it, and then we were like. I remember I was like, I can see it now. He puts someone in the Cobra Clutch. They don't tap out. He spins them out. Rainmaker. And apparently no one got word back to him from us to them. Like, I I guess our podcast wasn't big enough back then because we just started. But I wish someone would have told Naito he could have done that because we could have been seeing this Cobra Clutch for the last three years. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, now we move on to the main event here with Sonata defeating Tai Chi at 22 minutes and 50 seconds. I did not like this match. Yeah. This uh, main event was pretty weak. (laughs) I was really, I wasn't surprised, but, you know, you also think it's the main event. These guys are going to deliver. Not so much. Um and I was just thinking, like, my God, they're really going to put Sonata in, you know, Osaka Joe Hall after the, you know, after this match with Taichi? I don't know, man. I mean, he had a cool match with Show, but I mean, you know, it's not like the Taguchi, Taichi, and Show trio of matches are really inspiring me to want to see Sonata and Naito at this point. So I was kind of like, this is kind of different. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And again, like we say with Sonata, he definitely wrestles to the level of the guy he's in there with. And in a way, Taichi's that way also. You know, when Taichi's wrestling Ishii, like, he has to go. And so here, you know, once again, we kind of see a lot of the shenanigans. He's using the tag rope for choking, a lot of cheating uh, throughout the matchup here. Um, and Sonata, once again, just not really emoting, not, not being frustrated with the cheating, just kind of, you know, paint by the numbers. Sonata match. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much said it all. I don't. I mean, twenty-two minutes and fifty seconds. I was getting. This actually was probably one of the hardest shows for me to get through. To be honest with you, I mean, um, the first two matches were really cool. You know, uh, we had the, what might be the match of the tournament, cool squash. But then I was like, another Lij, you know, tag. Oh, this Okada Ishimori match, which I was excited for, didn't deliver. It was long, and then this match. I don't really recall that much from it. I just remember stuff happening, to be honest with you. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was long and I, I was like disappointed. And I mean, I know it's a little unprofessional for me. I, I feel like this is one of the few times I've ever been just been like flat out. This was a main event and I don't really recall that much from it. I can just tell you how I felt and I didn't <laughs> feel happy and I was kind of bummed, honestly. Yeah. At the end, you had um, come up. Uh, the whole match, Kanemaru was on commentary. At the end, Kanemaru jumps off from the commentary desk and gets involved in the match. Uh, we had a ref bump. Uh, Taichi hit a low blow. But then Sonata shoved Taichi into Kanemaru. And then he did an O'Connor roll to get the win over Taichi. Now that you say all of that, I recall it all. But, <laughs> like, off the top of my head. And it's weird because I have such a good memory. And normally I can pull stuff off. But... 
And the funny thing is, like, Sonata hit him with the, the O'Connor roll. Great. You know, we know that he can pin people with the O'Connor roll. We've seen it time and time again. But in this tournament, I think he pe- I think he beat Taguchi with that, too, didn't he? Uh, I think so. It was, I think it was a roll-up or something like that, yeah. Uh, maybe I could be wrong. But it's like, did he really need to roll up t- Taichi? I mean... Is that really going to hurt Taichi's chances in his tag team match with Zack Sabre Jr.? So, like, you know, it's like they didn't want to undo the good faith, quote unquote, you know, that they built with uh, Taichi in this tournament. Little do they know. I mean, I don't know how fans over there feel about it, but over here it feels like, man, I don't. This is the thing I'm always talking about when I'm always like, Taichi has a great performance, builds up my, you know, and then I'm like, all right, I'm not going to bet against this guy anymore. He finally won me over, and then he goes and undoes it. And then I'm like, I'm never going for this guy again. <laughs> like, and then the next time he comes out, like he puts in a fantastic performance. I'm like, oh, I was wrong. This guy, and it's it's so up and down. And uh, he's not consistent. It, but he but he is consistent because it's all by design. Mm. It's not like he's missing the mark because he doesn't know what he's doing this is on purpose that's what makes it worse (laughs) he's intentionally shitty (laughs) and then intentionally great like my god but anyways um 22 minutes 50 seconds sonata yeah he had overcome all all the cheating with kanemaru and and taichi but then he just rolled him up and it was kind of like dude he could have gotten emphatic win to make him look strong going into the second night i don't know i was a big fan of that and, and uh, once again, I think the finish would have been a lot better with a crowd because the crowd would have gasped that, oh, my God, Taichi's going to cheat to win. And then they would have gasped because Sonata pulled it out and got the roll-up and won. I gasped when it was over. I was like, oh, <laughs> finally. Thank God. <laughs> I saw I saw him hit the O'Connor. Yeah, uh, I saw him hit that roll-up, and I was like, fuck yeah, finally. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so then we – that's it. That's the end of the night. Sonata cuts a promo, and we end up with our, uh, you know, uh, semifinals going into night eight. You know, we've got Evil and Sonata. LIJ member – you know, LIJ powers collide. They explode. Um, and then you've got Hiromu Takahashi taking on the Rainmaker, uh, Kazushika Okada. Yeah. So let's talk about night eight here. So opened up with Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, Zack Sabre Jr., and El Esperado defeating Yuji Nagata, Roshi Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi, and Gabriel Kidd. Uh, this is a cool match. The surprising thing is that LIJ didn't, or I'm sorry, uh, Suzuki Gun did not jump um, the Hontai crew right at the get go. Right. They did a few moves for like a minute or two and then went to the outside and jumped them. So a little different, but kind of the same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So Desperado ends up getting the win here with the uh, Pinche Loco on Gabriel Kidd. Yeah. um, And then again, same story we've been talking about. Dangerous Techers challenging uh, the Golden Aces and – or not – I'm sorry – yeah, it's the Golden Aces. Yeah. And um, at the end of the match, we just kind of had, like, them jawjacking. Um, I think, was Zack Sabre, like, tying up Ibushi or something like that again? Um, trying to remember here. Oh, yeah, so Sabre put Ibushi in a triangle. And then uh, yeah. Taichi and Tanahashi were facing off. And then Nagata came out to save Ibushi. 
the whole time I was sitting there, I was like, dude, Tanahashi, like, get your boy. He's getting choked <laughs> to death. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's been it's been a weird build. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not weird because it's New Japan and that this is just what they do with tag teams. But it's also been like, come on, guys, like, let's try a little. <laughs> So uh, next we had another tag match: Hiroki Goto, Tomori Ishii, and Sho defeating Tetsuya Naito, Shingo Takagi, and Bushi. Um, this was a tag team match that on paper looks very, very good. Um, you know, I love this uh, chaos tag team that they got here: Goto, Ishii, and Sho. I mean, if I was going to put together like a fantasy trio, that might be like one of the more enticing ones. And uh, they did a pretty good job here. And I kind of thought, like, I don't even know who the six-man tag team... Oh, yeah, I guess it's Shingo and, and Bushi and, what, Evil? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I was kind of like, man, maybe Goto Ishii and Sho could, like, go after those belts later on. That might be kind of cool. Yeah, that would uh, be a cool trio. Yeah. But, uh, anyways, I mean, this was a match. Um, obviously, you know, Ishii and Shingo... Or I'm sorry, uh, Sho and Shingo. That's like kind of the big thing, and that's kind of the big story here. Yeah, Sho ends up getting the win over Bushi. Hits the power breaker, followed by the shocked arrow to get the pin. And then post-match, Sho hits Shingo with a spear and holds the never title over a fallen Shingo. What's the power breaker? That is, it's uh, the Project Champa, the power bomb into the double knees. Okay, yeah. The, the move that... You know what's funny is like in the mid two thousands, like when that move first came out in the Indies, that was like the most devastating like finisher, and everyone started doing it. And then it, now it's just kind of a move that everyone does. Really, I, I don't see that many people doing it. Really, I see people like maybe not a power bomb, but some variation of that, something into yeah, knees, double like knees, they throw them yes. up and then they yeah, lung blower, yeah. code breaker variations, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like you see a variation of the of a guy getting thrown up, going onto the double knees. Ishimori does a version of it, and like all over the Indies, it's like really popular. Yeah. So then after that matchup, we had the big debut of Master Wato, formerly Hirai Kawato, returning from Excursion, and we have a ton of questions about Bro, the debut. We have. We have so many questions about Harai Kawato. We've been talking about, dude, when we first started this podcast, Harai Kawato was still a young young lion, and we used to talk about him all the time. No one wanted to talk about this dude. He makes one appearance, and we got like 15 questions. This is crazy. Yeah, so let's start off with Reddit user Asayo Jimbo. He says, what do you guys think of Kawato's comeback and Doki's reaction? I, I really don't know what to think about the comeback. It, it was underwhelming. And um, I'm kind of rooting for Doki. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, dude! You're slowly becoming like Doki, Doki Mark. <laughs> Bro, he's like a Streets of Rage character. He comes out with this bent pipe and hits people. It's pretty cool. Like I don't know. So yeah, I agree with you. I I do think it was a very underwhelming debut, especially you know like we mentioned last couple of weeks. When New Japan is debuting a guy and they're doing vignettes and they're doing weeks and weeks, usually it ends up being a big debut and the guy gets launched into a big program. You look at John Moxley, Taiji Ishimori, Jay White, Hiromu, Evil. You look back to all these guys, they got you know these video packages and got brought back into big you know, stables, pushes, matches, um, ELP, all these guys. And so 
your spec, all right. We were kind of iffy on the vignettes as it is, and then he kind of comes out in the all blue, and then he gets beat up by Doki, who's the low man Suzuki good, not even in the New Japan Cup. That's how low he is on the totem pole, and takes out uh, Master Wato. Master Wato. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I I hear that, I think of like the guy like Wato from like uh, Phantom Menace. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. The, the guy that knows. Um, or like, yeah, or like Master Roshi. I don't know. <laughs> like, yo, you want to come out and like you you were a young lion and now you're a master. How you a master, bro? Like, master of what? <laughs> master of yeah, bro. What are you the master of? Like, God. Master, anyway, master so, of um, who? <laughs> master what? It's a master of who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So anyway, so Master Wato comes out and. You know, the funny thing is, like, there's no – we didn't have Chris Charlton, but, like, I kind of am picking up some of these, like, uh, you know, Jack like Japanese phrases just from listening to Japanese wrestling. And he cut such a short promo. I pretty much translate it pretty, pretty accurately. Like, it wasn't 100%. I saw someone who put the actual, like, correct one out there. But, like, I'll tell you, my, my translations are a lot closer than the ones that Rich does on his videos. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Oh my gosh! But um, yeah, he came out. He, he he struck a pose like he was Madonna, and then and then he got his ass beat, you know, with Doki's bent pipe. Like I don't know. I mean, I have some thoughts. Okay, so one thing, there's a part of me that thinks that maybe, just maybe, they actually have big plans for him, and this is a swerve similar to the initial set up for um okada when okada first made his return that now there's some people say that that was intentional some people say it wasn't um i kind of lean more towards the side that the way they portrayed okada when he first came back was intentional and maybe that's what they're doing here with uh kawato the other part is maybe they were not impressed with, with what happened down in mexico and this first feud is kind of showcasing that yeah, we're going to go with you, but we don't, you know, we're going to test you first. At the same time, if that's how you feel, why do all the build? Why do all the anticipation? Why do all the vignettes? You know, right. I, I don't, I don't know. We don't know all the insight of what's going on. I mean, maybe when they shot that video, they did have big plans and then something happened. You never know the politics backstage, maybe something happened and then it caused them to lose faith and like, all right, well, this is the way we're going to, we're going to, you know, Shift, this is the way we're going. Also, maybe Doki's the only guy who wasn't in a program that they had on hand, you know, to work with him. Because everyone else has been in this tournament. Maybe that's the only thing that they thought they could feasibly do, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't know. There, there's a lot of there's questions surrounding this. And also more questions here. Uh, so Malrati says, is Master Wato a geek? <laughs> he looks like one, right? <laughs> and got jumped by Doki. I mean, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about he looks like a geek right yeah, now. Like, yeah. I, I there's nothing inspiring. I, I think Yoshihashi looks cooler than Master Wato right now. <laughs> Man, that that's rough. <laughs> uh, oh, speaking of which, did you notice that during that match with um, <laughs> Yoshi or with Yoshihashi and Ibushi that Yoshihashi kept looking when he was doing the butterfly lock or some chin hold, he just kept looking dead ass into the camera yes. for like Matt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> for like mad long periods oh of time, like, 
What was going on there? Uh, dude, I don't know. Um, <laughs> next question here from uh, Dub V Disney says, to Maserati's point, if Mas- Master Wado's floor is a first feud of Doki, what's his ceiling based on his first impressions? I mean, we, I mean, his first, I don't know what his ceiling is because you just never know how a guy is going to do coming back from excursion. That's all I can really say. I mean, hypothetically, it could be, you know, all-time legend. I mean, I don't, I, I you know, I don't know at this point. Um, it doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah. The future, it looks, it's, I don't know, it's definitely not quite as bright as we thought it would be. Uh, yeah, it, it feels like the way they brought him back makes it feel like he's not getting that massive initial push, but that he's going to have to, like, claw his way up like a Hanare. Or like a Desperado or something like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, next question here from Recent Maximum says, Master Wato going for the IC title first or just skip the formalities and make him champ? Champ of what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I would love for him to come out and actually cut a promo and tell us what exactly it is that he is a master of. Yes. I think that there, this is supposed to be like the way he looks um, with his like gear and then his facial impressions. I think they're trying to imply that he's like somehow a spoof on uh, Ip Man. Have you ever seen the Ip Man movies? The Hitman? No, Ip Man. No. The the, uh, the Wing Chun or does he do Wing Chun? Yeah, he does Wing Chun, I believe. Um, he was like Bruce Lee's teacher back in the day. Mm, yeah, I haven't seen those. Oh, movies. bro. Bro, you gotta you gotta at least watch the first Ip Man movie. That's that's what I think that they're playing off of, like Master Ip Man, Master Watto. That's what it looks like, anyways. But so I guess the way he's dressed looks like he's supposed to be like a kung fu master. But yeah. I'm not. I mean, we, we haven't seen him wrestle yet. Maybe maybe he's gonna like introduce some, some sort of like cool ass like you know kung fu style into pro wrestling, like some, some Watto what, fu. What, Sort of like what uh, AEW promised us when it came to OWE and it just never happened. Mm. <laughs> Remember when they cut that that uh, they did that press conference? Like these guys are basically, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon meets Lucha, and you've never seen it before. And then I was like, yeah, we we never did see it before because company closed. There's no partnership. These guys never came. What the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what his wrestling style ends up being. Uh, Mar- I hope it's like Glacier. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that'd be hilarious. Uh, Murray Bourne asks, is Master Watto vs. Doki feud the next Liger vs. Sano? <laughs> <laughs> that's, my, that's my response. <laughs> uh, Highest Fly Flow asks, is it wise for Watto's first match to be Doki? You would expect an impressive win over a big name, maybe somebody like Taiji. I don't know, man. Um, there's a lot going against them. I mean, you know, with COVID, there's not a lot of talent on hand. I think they do want to kind of utilize Doki. He doesn't. He wasn't even in the tournament. This is probably some sort of reward for him, which is good. Um, and he's he's going to lose. Obviously, I don't I imagine that you know Master Watto is going to lose in his first match. But I think it kind of depends on what they're trajectory is for him after the fact you know and so we'll have to see 
what if the match really delivers? It might. I don't know. It might not. I mean, I would I would imagine it's probably not going to be the greatest given where it's slotted in the <laughs> in the card, but you, you just never know. So who knows? Uh, Josh number two asks: After the Grandmaster presumably destroys Doki, where does he go next? I don't know. To a stylist, get some new clothes, <laughs> get some new new gear. Get his hair done better. Like I don't know. I, I miss the old. I, I, I want someone to look at Harai Kawato and be like, "You've changed." <laughs> yeah, I want somebody to have like the Wolverine meme where he's like crying like, with a picture with his hand on it. It's like a picture yeah. of like, the, like Kawato in a young lion gear. <laughs> <laughs> I. But as far as like, I mean, realistically, what do you see next? I mean, he's going to beat Doki. Right. So I'll say he's, he's going to be a junior. So I'm guessing he's just going to be in that kind of. Right now, kind of the low card junior mix and working his way up in the junior division. Well, here's an interesting thought. We don't know if there's going to be a super juniors this year or not, but if there is, it's going to be fairly soon. If it does happen, if it doesn't happen, oh well. But if it does happen, then that would tell you a lot about what they think of him. Yeah, I mean, he could be one of the bottom guys in the block, whatever block he's in. I mean, if he's a parody based guy and he does he go you know gets eight ten points or something like that and doesn't finish, then he's right there with your shows and your desperados and guys like that. If he does worse than them, then you know he's with your dokies and your you know lower end juniors. Your, I mean, your I don't, Kanamaru's and your Gatos yeah, and Jados. <laughs> yeah, and your Tiger masks, guys like that. So uh, that's something that I think would be very interesting. Now the big thing is after. We get through with this. We're going to go to the the next big tour is what? The summer, summer series? Str- summer struggle. What an apt <laughs> <laughs> Because trust me, we here in Florida, this summer is going to be a struggle, bro. <laughs> like, bro, COVID cases are rising. We have the fucking stupidest governor of all time. Like, my God. Anyway, so yeah, it's summer struggle is right. Um. I don't know, man. I mean, that would tell you if if he has another feud coming up during Summer Struggle, you know. I mean, we'll we'll talk about it later, but there is going to be a G1 later in the year and that's when a lot of the juniors are going to have to take a huge back seat provided there's not a Super Juniors. So, I mean, let's imagine that there's just Summer Struggle and then we go straight to a G1 and then that kind of closes out the year. We might not like really see a push for any big junior including you know uh master wato until like the tail end of the year until january i mean yeah build that's a, Tokyo that's a real possibility yeah so, i don't know man uh next question here from reddit user lester murphy 34 says hope i'm not too late i've only been watching njpw for over little for a little over a year so i'm not sure how realistic this would be what if the dorky look of Kawato is just a swerve and Doki attacking him will lead to another side of the Grandmaster, a darker side? Is that something you could see Gato doing? Absolutely. Um, I think that is similar to what they ended up doing with uh, Okada when he first came in. He, If you watch his debut match against Yoshihashi at Wrestle Kingdom, he looks like an entirely different person, physically, visibly aesthetically in every capacity versus how he looked at invasion attack when he wrestled um 
or it might have been New Beginning. I can't remember when he had that match, but when he wrestled Tanahashi, he literally was like, he looked like a geek and he looked not self-assured. He looked like he was not ready. And then, and no one was taking him seriously. And then he, when he wrestled Tanahashi, he complete, he looked poised. He looked like a superstar and he ended Tanahashi's record setting title reign. And the whole thing, a lot of people say it was all by design. It was a swerve. It, they made him look like a geek. They made him wrestle crappy so that when he went in with Tanahashi, he could be the prodigy and virtuoso that he actually is. And it was all an elaborate storyline. So I'm not, I think that that is completely a possibility that some version of what you just kind of laid out could definitely be happening here. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, hopefully that it, that is the path, and we do see a you know a more kind of a serious kind of badass side of Master Watto. Uh, next question from Imp Matthew Mary says: After that Kawato return, are we predicting an Okada or Okarn esque debut match? Um, Okada or Okarn esque debut match? Yeah, so. I guess kind of like you pointed out, you know, the the match of Yoshihashi was not that great. It was um, kind of it looked kind of goofy. It wasn't that good of a match, and the Great Okan didn't have that great of a debut match either. Oh, at least, at least the gimmick was kind of weird in the debut. So, are you talking about when he wrestled on those U.S. shows? Yeah. Okay, that's what was throwing me off. Um, see, I don't count that as Okan's official debut because he has. He hasn't really returned from excursion. You right. Know what I mean, he might not even be Okarn when he comes back. Right, because when um, Sho and Yo first came back, they wrestled some of the U.S. shows, and they were the Tempora Boys. Right. Which obviously is not <laughs> the uh, the gimmick that they're working now. So, um, but yeah, I think um, that's absolutely a possibility. Uh, you know, um, we just talked quite, you know, about it quite extensively. I think it could be similar to Okada. Now, here's the thing. If it ends up being a flop and it's not by design, it just flops because it happens to flop, then that's one thing. If it's something where I guess it really just all depends what kind of expectations he has for him, you know, on himself as a performer, how the company is kind of viewing it, what expectations they have. I mean, I I don't think we as fans really know what to expect here at all. Yeah, it's yeah. There's a lot of question marks here. <laughs> are you excited about it, or are you kind of just uh, put off based on the presentation? I'm I'm not excited. I'm not put off. I'm curious. I'm like, what what is the match going to look like? Like, how is he going to wrestle? Because obviously, I didn't see much of his CMLL stuff when he's a young lion. He's doing the basic young lion stuff. So, like, what's what's his? Is he gonna do any lucha stuff? Is it gonna be like, you, like you mentioned, some kind of like martial? Like he creates his own martial art kind of thing. Like, I have no idea. So, I am curious, but I'm not really excited. But I mean, yeah, I just want to know what what's 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 all gonna look like. <laughs> I love in the '90s when guys would quote unquote create their own martial art, sort of like Rex Kwando from like <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> yeah. So I hope he like comes up with like Kawato you know, kudo or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, next uh, question from Grunty Dodds. He says, in a week with several questionable fashion choices, I have several questions. Does New Japan Pro Wrestling have a wardrobe supervisor or can the wrestlers wear whatever they want? 
unless it's Hitman cosplay. <laughs> <Ta-ting>. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know. I don't know that they have a wardrobe designer, honestly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I know there's um, Topla. I think is his name. He he designs a lot of um, Prorezu gear. Um, but yeah, I don't know if there's a quote unquote official like WWE has like their their, their seamstress people. Like I don't know if New Japan has that. I think that you do have to I, – I think that you can't just go out there and wear anything you want. I right. think it does – I think there is some level of approval. I don't know how extensive that you know, really actually is, but um, I don't from, – from what I've heard from a lot of the wrestlers is that things are kind of lax when it comes to this sort of thing. They, they get a lot of creative freedom. Yeah. Uh, next question, he and I think he's talking about um, Carl Fredericks here. He says – a dangling earring seems like a recipe for disaster. How long before things get ripped out, either as a shoot or an angle? Yeah, I don't know. We'll talk about Carl Fredericks later on the show if uh, the Lions break collision. But, yeah, I mean, the dangling earring, you can get some heat on that. You can get a heel, rip, rip that thing out. Uh, shout out to my Rocky Five fans because it reminded me of Rocky Five when his son decided to get a dangling earring. <laughs> um I don't know. I was kind of thinking, I was like, what is this man doing right now? <laughs> I remember like cringing all the time when like CM Punk would wear like a lip ring, you mm, know? Yeah. And this man's got a dangling earring. Like that's definitely going to get ripped out. It's not a good, you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, next, last question. Does Doki wear those baggy pants because it's the only way to hide his massive amounts of pubic hair? If so, is there a website and promo code that he could use? Well, Grunty Dots, I'm glad you asked. There is a website and a promo code that Doki could use. You can go to manscaped.com, put in the code SUPLEX, and get 20% off and free shipping of the Lawn Mower 3.0. We've been telling you for weeks now how the Manscaped team has worked to perfect the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created with this new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. I... I'm sorry, I have to kind of um, spoil Grunty Dodd's, you know, opinion here. Uh, I happen to know that Doki, and I hate to put anyone's personal information out there, but I'm just going to spill the beans. Doki is an avid listener of this podcast and has already taken advantage of the Suplex promotional code. Mm. And from what I've heard, he is a creep in the streets, but he's well-groomed in the sheets, Okay. So you don't have to worry about his pubic hair and those baggy pants. Those are a style choice. They are not, you know, functional. Yeah, that's, that's not what they're for. Doki was tired of getting nicks and cuts, so he knew that that you know, young boy and I would not steer him wrong. He slapped in that suplex promo code, and now he is nick free. No more accidents. Absolutely. So then, um. We spent so much time talking about Master Kawato. <laughs> um, there was actually a few more matches on this card, night eight. And uh, let's move on to the semifinal matchup here. We have Evil taking on Cold Skull Sonata. Yeah, so the big, you know, finally a LIJ versus LIJ matchup here. And here's where we kind of saw the master plan come with this whole, you know, Evil cheating and. I think there's a lot of questions like, oh, is he going to wrestle the same way when he's wrestling his tag team partner, his stalemate in Sonata? And yes, he pilmanized this man, pulled out the chairs, cheated. Um, yeah, he was evil here. Well, let's be very clear. Evil 
even though he's showing more of a mean streak in this tournament, that's you know not debatable. It's absolutely a proven fact. He always tends to skew that way when he's in singles matches. If you look at his G1 runs, that's a key uh, indicator of you know how he kind of handles himself when it comes to singles matches. And he actually has wrestled Sonata twice in two previous G1s. They have a one-on-one record against one another going into this match. But in both of those matches, Evil employed outside tactics and use of chairs in his matches against Sonata, just as he's done against Naito and just as he's done against uh, you know, other guys from LIJ when needed. So it's not completely out of his wheelhouse to have done that. But he kind of put a little bit more stank on it, if you know what I mean, in this tournament. Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of the big spot here. So the, the ref was down and Evil hit a low blow, brought two chairs in. He um, did his, you know, his baseball chair spot on Sonata. Um, and then he went like he was going to do a scorpion death lock, but instead um, hit him with another low blow. He revived the ref and hit the everything is evil STO. One, two, three, evil beat Sonata. Um, I like the story they're telling here. I was genuinely shocked that Sonata, that evil beat Sonata. Um, I think that this was something that really broke a lot of brackets. I think a lot of people were counting on this sort of um, narrative that Sonata has gotten so far in the tournament every year, got to the finals last year, was one step away from actually getting to the finals again and then eventually hypothetically winning it. He's not a champion. He's the one guy in LIJ who doesn't have a title. That resentment is kind of growing hypothetically. Now, these are things that we've all been saying. It's not things that are really on the surface of of – it's not like he's cutting promos and saying these things. Keep in mind, these are things that we as Western audience fans are sort of interjecting because we're sort of telling the story ourselves. Um, but this is kind of what we just – a lot of people, I think, Jeremy, you've said these things. I've said these things. I've seen a lot of fans online be like, this is where they're going. But I do recall times where other people have disagreed with us, people who asked us questions. And they said, I think they're going with evil – to be the kind of first guy who's kind of going to go against the grain within LIJ based on comments that he's made, based on some of his previous attitudes and actions. And we were like, nah, it's going to be Sonata. <laughs> <laughs> but then you look at the way the tournament played out, and I mean, we, we should have seen it. Because remember, I've been saying Sonata had a cakewalk. Mm-hmm, yeah. He's had no fiery matches. There's been no drive in any of this. He's just kind of been like, sleepwalking through the tournament, picking up wins, rolling guys up. And then you look over at evil and it's like, he's, he's taking fuckers out. You know, he's bashing their knees <laughs> in with chairs and he's pilmanizing people. Stomping and it's like, their crotch, the crotches. Yeah, bro. And it's like, how do we not see that this was happening? Skato, man, <laughs> bro, we suck. We, we call ourselves the ace of podcasts. We need to be the young lion of ace uh, of podcasts because we don't know shit. Like, <laughs> Gato has taken us on an emotional roller coaster. Did anybody have evil going to the finals in, in the bracket tournament that we've done? Yes. So the one bracket that's been perfect this whole time has evil and Okada in the finals. There's a perfect bracket well, with evil and Okada in the they, they ended up missing one match this week. So they had... Um, Taichi beating Sonata. 
That is literally the uh, only, only match they got wrong. But they have an evil so, Okada finals. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, I won't ask you yet, but we'll talk about, you know, what their prediction is for all this. But uh, that's pretty amazing. So, I mean, yeah, man. I mean, Eve, it it kind of makes sense now that everything is playing out. But it's also surprising to a certain degree. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts here? Final thoughts, I guess. Yeah. Once again, I was very surprised that they went with evil. Like you mentioned, we think back to the New Japan Cup kind of booking, and it, you, you would think it would make sense for Sonata. you think they would do Okada-Sonata again and kind of tell that story of Sonata getting another big win over Okada. And I think a lot a lot of people kind of went that way, and that's thought what we were going to get here. But, yeah, very surprising that they went with evil here. We're getting evil um, Okada. And, yeah, it's definitely threw us all off. Yeah, I listened to a podcast recently. I don't recall if it was the NJPW official podcast or if it was – it might have been Tama's Island. But they kind of discussed the dynamic between Evil and Sonata. And they said while they are both, you know, tag team partners and they've shared a lot of success with one another, there's also that internal competition as far as where they stand in the pecking order of New Japan – in, in in the talent poll, you know, yeah, I think it was Island. And I thought they brought up some really great points. It kind of reminded me of Tenzan and Kojima back in the two, like early two thousands. Mm. You know, had a lot of success together, but eventually, it led to them main eventing against one another for you know both New Japan and All Japan's top titles. And you know, Evil Sonata, they're kind of on the same level. I think. As of last year, the official word was that Sonata was like more popular. But I mean, you look at the opportunities they've been given: major title shots, major headlining matches, big cards against top guys, Okada, Chris Jericho, things of that nature. And they've both done very well. They both sold a lot of tickets. They both shown that they can be proven draws when needed to be called upon. Um, so it, it makes a lot of sense why they might go this direction at this point in time. And I think it's a smart idea. Um, I will say final thoughts. I didn't love this match again, 20 minutes. I thought it was a bit too long, but it's almost kind of overridden based on the surprise factor. I didn't expect evil to win. And then you kind of have this really cool narrative going into the finals for evil's trajectory all throughout the tournament. There's a story in place, which is nice, but as a, in a, in a micro, like in a vacuum, I didn't love the match on. Honestly, I, I thought it was fine, but it wasn't like super compelling. Evil did what needed to be done to get to the next step. Yeah, this match was definitely more about the story about evil than having a match quality, uh, you know, a banger. So, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's what they want to do. That's what they did. We got a lot of questions about this, too, which is surprising. Yeah. So first question from Ready User Rambo and Slam Pig Given the events of the last round of the New Japan Cup, where do you see the partnership between Evil and Sonata? Are they done? Is one heading away from LIJ, or is this just a bump on the road they will get over? Uh, yes, yes, and yes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know that they're done, but they might be done for now. It doesn't mean they're done forever. Right. Or they could be fine. They could be fine after this. 
And, and we did hear rumors at the beginning of the year that there were plans to split off one of these guys from LIJ. So maybe that's this is what we're seeing here. And maybe this is evil kind of splitting off. And I think last week we mentioned, like, it would be kind of weird if Sonata had kind of just split off amicably and uh, with LIJ being, I know they're kind of tweeners, but they're, they lean a little bit more to the babyface side. And so he would need to like, get kicked out or something instead of just kind of leaving. So it makes sense of evil kind of, you know, going against the grain and being the one that's kind of, kind of defect here. You know, one thing we don't always emphasize enough, and this is important, evil is a dojo boy. Sonata is a freelancer. Who are you going to give a faction to? The dojo boy. I rest my case. So it makes a lot of sense. Hypothetically, if they're going to split these guys off, maybe you do go with evil. He's a fantastic promo. He's a good wrestler. He's charismatic. Uh, He can work his gimmick. Who knows what the next iteration or next step is for him? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this could this could be very exciting hypothetically, and maybe it's nothing. Maybe this is just the seeds for something that's coming up in the future. Maybe they're making some drastic changes. I don't know. Um, I, I I can't wait to see. But uh, like I said, this kind of reminds me in s- uh, several ways of the Tenkozi split that you know happened, and those guys ended up working together down the road later again. You know what I mean? So right. it could end up being that way for Evil and Sonata. And with their trajectories, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point – I'm not going to overstate it and be like, I could see these guys doing Wrestle Kingdoms and selling out the Tokyo Dome. No, but could they maybe one day do like a King of Pro Wrestling? Yeah, or a Destruction Tour, Dantaku? Yeah, why not? I mean I, I think they both are at the point where they are ready for the next level, whatever that is. Yeah. A uh, similar question from Impair. Do you think we'll see any friction grow between Evil and Tanada over the course of the of the next year or so? Personal agenda on that one. I'd love to see a, a costume consumed by the darkness evil run. Like a like a Lord of Darkness evil, like evil, but like mixed in with like Ministry of Darkness like Undertaker? Yeah, it'd be <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a different way to go with things in New Japan. <laughs> Ministry of Darkness. <laughs> um yeah, uh, it is funny. Evil is one of those guys who kind of like borders on the whole sports entertainment slash, you know, sports presentation of New Japan. He's kind of like on the outskirts of those things. He's like one of the few guys that's like kind of far, far on the sports entertainment side of things, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I think that's kind of the cool thing here is like this was a tournament. We kind of thought we knew what was going to happen. We clearly didn't. And that's great because a lot of people didn't know, and it's kind of been exciting in that sense. Uh, and that's something that Gato's really good at is keeping people on their toes and keep, keeping them guessing. And, you know, this literally could just be a challenge between stablemates, nothing more, nothing less. And if that is the case, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's the wrong way to go. I think they should have something come out of it, whatever it may be, whether it's now or later. But, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, speaking of you know creating a faction, next question here from Reddit user Viking Pain says, "With Evil becoming well more evil in this tournament, if he leaves Lij and creates his own faction, who would you guys put in it?" Oh, uh, that's a tough question. I mean, I don't really. People always want us to create factions, man. Why do we always get faction <laughs> questions? People love the factions, man. I 
yeah. See, here's the thing: is like, is evil gonna stay evil, or is he? Maybe he goes really evil, you know? Mm-hmm. Or I, I can see it go. Here's my thing: it needs to go one of two ways. Either he goes, he stays evil and goes really, really evil, or he goes in a totally different character direction. Like, fuck this, I'm not playing anymore. Fuck these toy scythes. Fuck, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not, I'm not playing. Like, this is for real, and then he gets, like, shooty, you know? Japanese badass evil? Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> Japanese badass evil. <laughs> Come down on the bike? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He needs to do something. But um, one or the other. So, I mean, I don't know what kind of faction I would want to build around him, though. Um, you know, Oka might be a great guy to come mm. in, bring in t- and bring into a faction with him. Yeah, that's a good one. But then you, you got two beefy boys there. I mean... Who else are we gonna add to this thing? We need. Could could you put Master Watto in there? I mean, you could, but I don't know if I'd put two young lions in there with him, unless you just want to like build young lions around him. Mm-hmm. You could do something like that. Yeah. Who would you put? I don't know. I'm trying to think because I feel like every, I mean, everybody's such a good fit where they're at right now. Well, I mean, there's one aimless guy that you could always throw in there. It's Toa Hinare. Mm, yeah, that's a good one. But then, you know, you then you've you've got him, Oka, Evil. I mean, that's a pretty beefy group right there. I mean, yeah. Maybe those, maybe they could just, start, maybe those three guys could just start out as a trio. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, so maybe we do that. Oka and Evil and Toa Hanare, and they run roughshod over people. Destroy Lij every night. Yeah, why not? Uh, next question here from uh, Ben Kaminsky on Twitter says, "Do you think Evil has been watching too many Tai Chi matches? My boy keeps on cheating to win against his own stable mate, and he tried to break his neck for chair twice." LOL. Well, I mean, that's just smart, you, you know. You got, <laughs> this, this, there's a reason they say this isn't ballerina. <laughs> got to win at all or costs. The, what? Or this isn't ballet? Yeah, you know? ballerina. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I mean. I, I personally, I like it when wrestlers want to put other wrestlers out of the sport forever. That's one of my favorite things. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to put you out of the sport forever. <laughs> That's what evil's been saying about people. Yeah. I've been listening to any of the backstage promos, but I just imagine that's what he's saying. It's like Sonata. <laughs> when we go out there, I'll put you new out forever. <laughs> but I mean, he has been saying, you know, he wants to do whatever it takes to win. So, and that's exactly what he's been doing in this tournament. You know, the, the difference between what he does and Tai Chi is Tai Chi does dick moves. Like, he grabs a hammer, and instead of hitting you with the mallet part, he hits you with, like, the handle. <laughs> <laughs> or he grabs, like, a rope, and he chokes you in a way where the ref can't see it. It's more like sniveling heel sort of stuff. Um, Evil's more, like, vicious and, and, you know, violent. He's uh, targeting body parts and trying to put people out. I like it. Uh, next question here from Kyle Martin, Wrestling Squared Circle. He says, I personally thought the New Japan Cup would be conceptually based around LIJ falling apart with a member winning and challenging the champion. I don't see that happening now, but is this the beginning of the end of LIJ? I don't think it's the beginning of the end of LIJ because the issue regarding that, and we've talked about it a lot, LIJ is the highest selling merch, um, like the highest merch selling group in all of new Japan pro wrestling. 
for that reason, they can't get rid of the brand, just like they can't get rid of Bullet Club. Like, there's just too much money, you know, invested into it. But I think this could be the start of people branching off. We've talked about it in the past. There's too much star power. There's too many guys that aspire for more, and you just can't keep them all in the same place forever. That just stagnates things. So, yeah, I do think this is the beginning, and it might actually be the culmination of guys splitting off. I mean, look how strong LIJ is in this tournament. They've got the trios titles, the never title, the freaking um, – IC and the junior title and the IWGP title. Like, <laughs> holy crap. And three of the four finalists were LIJ members and Naito's defending against one of, you know, like L- this is the strongest LIJ has ever been at this point in time, which means it's probably the correct period to start making some changes, breaking things off. Yeah, totally agree with you. LIJ will keep going on. This might be the end of evil in LIJ. And it might not be the end of evil. Who knows? Maybe evil goes out there. You think he's really, really, really evil. He tries all his evil crap against Naito. He can't put him away. And they come to respect one another at the end of the match. And then Swerve, Bushi, takes them both out. <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he starts his own group called Bushi Squad. And that, and, we, and away we go. You should call it Bushi's Road. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I mean, who? The, it, it, we don't know which way it's going, and that's the cool thing. Like, we could try to sit here and predict all day, but the best things that happen in New Japan are things where you just can't see it coming, like the Golden Lovers reuniting, or you know, things like that. Like, this is another one of those things. It's really great. And then last question here from our buddy Rich Latta. He says, does evil suck? I asked because, <laughs> <laughs> because I can't think of a situation that would be better by adding evil to it. <laughs> All right. Well, this is just what I'll say. I've been very vocal over the years. And Jeremy, you can attest to this. I don't really like evil, do I? No. I am pretty critical of evil. I think he's fine in the ring. But I'm not a big fan of his. Matches that a lot of other people liked, like his match with Ibushi in last year's G1, his match with Elgin the year before in the G1. I wasn't a big fan of him. Um, I'm not even that big of a fan of LIJ as a tag team. I think I like Sonata a lot better, but Evil doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, um, the reality is we put out a poll this week and we asked like who who you'd uh, you know rather see win the... Um, you know, the New Japan Cup this year, Evil or Okada, and overwhelmingly Evil won. And we're one year removed from the G1 press conference that we attended last year. And I know that that was just a microcosm of fans, but you're talking about the hardest of hardcore fans that were there. And I think Evil might have legitimately had the loudest pop of anybody in the entire room when he came out. Am I wrong about that? No, you're absolutely correct. Evil was, because I remember we looked at each other, we're like, Bro, we were shook. <laughs> we're like, was that was that a Road Warrior pop for evil? <laughs> bro, and like Sonata was not far behind. They, they were literally two. Bro, Will Ospreay? No. Like, uh, Zack Sabre Jr.? No. You know, Jay White? No. You know, guys that you would think are big Western stars, quote unquote, because they're Gaijin, 
nah, bro, LIJ is so fucking over. It's kind of crazy. And, like, when we were there live and Evil came out for his match, I think he wrestled Balak Fale. Yeah. Bro, bro, the crowd went crazy when Evil came out. And he he's sold out buildings with guys. He sold out building with Kenny Omega. He sold out building with Okada. He sold out building with uh, Chris Jericho. Like, I know that we don't. I know that there is a certain spectrum of fans that don't necessarily like evil. And again, I'm one of them. I'm not a big fan of evil. I, I like his character, but I don't love his wrestling matches. It's just not for me. I, I, but I have to tell you, if you think he sucks or you don't realize that he is literally one of the most popular guys in the company, you are out of touch with what's going on because he, I think that's why they're giving him this opportunity because he's one of the most over guys in the company. Right, and I will say, like again, I am. I like the evil. I like his character. I, I like his promo work. It, it pops me every time he thinks he's a rock and he's smelling the air and stuff like that. Um, when it comes to his matches, I think when he's in there with the right opponent in the right match layout, I think he can deliver. You take away the shenanigans. You give him an Ichi. You give him a, a Goto. You give him an Okada. You give him somebody that's really going to push him. I think he can have good matches. Now, is he going to be the guy you depend on to have good matches and push other people? No. Uh, but I, I understand what they're doing here. Again, like you're mentioning, he's, he's not going to rack up the star ratings here. But he's popular, good promo, good look, dojo boy. I totally understand what they're doing here. That's a big part of it. Guys that come through the dojo system – when they're tried and you know proven and they stick around and they're loyal, they work hard and they deliver, they're going to get big opportunities. And at some point, I know a lot of people who haven't, don't think this, but think about the origins of LIJ. Like the first three guys, the first two guys actually were Naito and then evil. Evil's like literally the secondhand guy in LIJ. I know, I know that other people at this point, maybe if like you're a newer fan, you think, oh, Hiromu's a big star, Shingo's a big star. But it's like those are the last two guys to get added. The first guy <laughs> was evil. So it makes all the sense in the world that he would be the guy to split off and do his own thing at some point or you know get the first title challenge because he's the second – he really is the second in command in LIJ, period. Yeah. He is higher ranking than everybody else. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we have one last matchup here to talk about, and that's Kazuchika Okada defeating Hiromu Takahashi 27 minutes in the main event of this show here. Very surprising. No questions about what I thought was a fantastic main event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love this match. And the, the thing I just love about Hiromu in this tournament is he's kind of been forced to wrestle different styles, you know, wrestling. With Yano, he's wrestling this comedy match. He's wrestling Ishii. He has to wrestle like a, a almost a never style match. And now he's wrestling Okada, and he's kind of forced to wrestle Okada's you know classic thirty minute main event style. And I thought he did an excellent job doing it. Yeah, um, even in the beginning, you know, you talked about earlier how Okada has the big match style of New Japan. It starts slow. There's a lot of teasing, feeling out, and the funny thing was during all that, like Hiromu is just popping me by doing like little entertaining things. He's like, 
come on, Okada. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just funny. Like, Hiromu's way smaller than Okada, but because of his, like, personality and his presence, he's, like, larger than life. Like, it didn't feel in any way out of place for him to be wrestling because it should go Okada, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I love the match. I thought that they – I do think, again, and I'm going to say it again, 27 minutes was too long. Um, Now, I kind of forgive it a little bit because they were giving a big opportunity and a big uh, push to Hiromu in this match. So you kind of forgive it a little bit. But, man, again, as good as this match was, 27 minutes in an empty arena – is kind of rough, especially with this particular style of match. That being said, I thought it was as good as it possibly could have been given the circumstances. And um, I thought Hiromu really delivered. I thought Okada did a fantastic job with him. This is a match I would love to see again down the line in front of an actual crowd. Um, Hiromu, heavyweight down the line, yay or nay? Or, you know, do you see him as more like the Liger? Like a guy who you know, can kind of like make trips up there, but needs to stay a junior. Yeah. It's hard to say. I would say as of right now, just looking at the landscape of the junior division, I feel like he kind of needs to stay there and elevate the division. There's not really, I mean, we, they already lost Osprey. They lost Shingo. There's not a lot of stars. I mean, there's a lot of great wrestlers, but not a lot of stars in that division. So I think right now the junior division really needs him. I think once it develops some more guys, then there's a possibility that you, move him up to heavyweight, or maybe you have him kind of float in this open weight kind of spectrum. But yeah, I think for right now, he needs to uh, be a junior. I've seen some people talk about how the booking philosophies of New Japan are changed irreparably forever, and that this is a changing of the guard because of the big wins that they've given to Hiromu and guys like Ishimori and things of that nature. And I gotta tell you, I don't think that, and, and uh, show as well, I don't think that is the case. But I thought that this was exciting, what they've done through, all throughout the tournament. And um, I was just holding out hope like that Hiromu would beat Okada. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, I've got, I had Hiromu winning the tournament. And I was like, he has to beat Okada to win the tournament. And so just out of my own selfishness, I was like, God, I would love I – w- I knew he wasn't going to beat Okada. But I wanted so desperately – for him to beat Okada <laughs> here, and it just it just didn't happen. Um, you know, Jeremy, take us what what happened here, when you know what your thoughts were. Yeah, so I, I love the closing stretch of this match here. Hiromu goes for the time bomb two, which he beat uh, you know Ishii with, but Okada blocked it. He had a spinning tombstone. Um, then he w- goes for his um, inverted cobra clutch again. Hiromu slides out. Okada hits a rainmaker, goes back to the clutch. He was getting frustrated that Hiromu wasn't tapping. He let go of the hold. He hit two more Rainmakers, locked the clutch in again, and then ref, uh, Red Shoes Uno stopped the match. So Okada wins by ref stoppage. So Hiromu did not tap out. He didn't give up. He was literally, um, you know, forced unconscious for Okada to get the win here. Yeah, he didn't tap out, which is a big deal. It showed his toughness and determination. And, um,. The big thing there, though, is that when he hit him with that Rainmaker, neither of those were true proper Rainmakers. They uh, they were like the spinning variant and, you know, the standing variant. Like, he never actually hit the ripcord and, like, completely 
hit him with that, which was a little surprising. But, you know, all throughout the tournament, we didn't see him doing any Rainmakers to anybody. And um, the whole story with Okada in this tournament was just the fact that he had to put those guys in that head-arm triangle choke time and time and time again. And then finally, against Hiromu, who was unable to, uh, you know, put him away with it the first time, he got out of it. And then he had to hit him with those Rainmakers. And then finally, he hit him with, or he put him in the um, head-arm triangle choke and... He was able to put him away, but Haramu didn't tap, you know, so he kind of gets that um, Stone Cold Steve Austin WrestleMania 13 clout and saying that, like, I didn't tap out, you know, I was passed out. Exactly. And so, yeah, he can always kind of hang his hat on that. And again, that kind of protects uh, Hiromu in a way. And um, it makes, yeah, it makes Hiromu look strong. It's like he wasn't defeated. Um, he was defeated, but he wasn't, you know, submitted and he wasn't pinned. Um, so yeah, it opens the door for maybe a potential rematch down the line if you are going to have him go to heavyweight at some point and he's going to wrestle Okada um, down the line. So it'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't think from a booking perspective they ever planned for him to actually beat Okada, obviously. But they did the biggest favor they possibly could in having him go a good length of time, being very competitive, give that give people the perception that he pushed Okada to his limits. And was basically put out by via a TKO versus actually being pinned or submitted, which I don't know. In real life, if you think about it, a TKO is not good. I mean, you you literally were put completely out. There's no, <laughs> in a real fight, there's no more emphatic way to beat somebody. But for some reason, in pro wrestling, because it's seen as a badge of courage, it's like protecting the guy somehow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's weird that way. All right, well, that is the last match that we had to review, so now we can jump into our previews real quick. So, New Japan Cup Finals happening on July 11th. So, we have a full card for this show. So, opening match, we got Tomioka Hanma and Togi Makabe, Great Bash Heel, taking on the Young Lion team of Yu Yamura and Yota Suji. You know, um, we're going to see Great Bash Heel teaming together once again. It seems like it's kind of been a while. Um, going up against the Young Lions here. Obviously, I think that Great Bash Hill is going to pick up the win, but, um, you know, it's kind of like seeing the dads against the Young Lions, which is always a good thing here. And um, Yumor and Suji both have looked extremely impressive uh, during this New Japan Cup tour, and we kind of get get to see the culmination of that in the opening tag team match here. And um, I, I'm, I, I, at this point, I'm just so excited to see whatever Yumor and Suji do that I don't really care that it's against, you know, an aging Makabe or an aging Hama. Like, this should be pretty good. Yeah, it should be a fun opening matchup here. Yeah, Hanma and Makabe should be getting the win here. So after that, we've got Tenkozi taking on Gabriel Kidd, teaming up with Hiroki Goto. Uh, again, similar situation. We've got, you know, established tag team in Ken- Tenkozi. And then you've got Goto teaming with the Young Lion. So I think we kind of know what's happening here. Yeah, Gabriel Kidd is going to eat a uh, Koji Cutter and a Lariat. One, two, three. Tenkozi is going to get the win here. Yeah, now here's the only thing. Um, on a normal New Japan Cup final, these are the kind of matches you would expect. So perfect, you know, fine. Nothing wrong with that. In front of, oh, you know, we're at one-third capacity, aren't we? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so we'll be, we'll be at I was, Osaka Joe Hall. 
Okay, so I was about to bring up, I was like, I don't know how these types of matches are going to play out in front of no crowd. They better keep them super short. (laughs) And you know what? It might still benefit them in front of a one-third capacity crowd to keep it fairly short because from what I understand with the guidelines, people are going to be very spaced out. I don't know what the sound is going to be like in in front of that sort of audience. I'm sure it's going to be better than, say, like the PC. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, I mean – they do usually keep these pretty short, but sometimes they'll give them some time, 10 minutes, 11 minutes. They might want to go um, the shortest, keep them sub 10 is what I'd say, because I don't know how these are going to play out. Yeah. So the next, wise. the next matchup, we have the debut match for Master Wato as he takes on Doki. So this is the one we got a lot of questions about. Uh, we've spoken quite a bit about it. I think we know, I think we expect anyways that, Hiraikawato will pick up the win here. Um, I think one thing that's interesting, and we didn't really talk about it, it makes a lot of sense why it's Doki attacking him. And um, if you think about Kawato, he's coming from his excursion where? In Mexico, CMLL. CMLL. And Doki has talked about in the past how he doesn't work for those companies, doesn't work for AAA, doesn't work for CMLL. He's, he is a Japanese wrestler who spent the majority of his career working the independent circuits in Mexico. And he has a chip on his shoulder about guys like, you know, Sho and Yo and Desperado and uh, Bushi and people who come to Japan who spent a small fraction of their time in Mexico and then basically culturally appropriate <laughs> the Mexican, the Lucha Libre style and, and try to claim it for their own. It reminds me of that scene in, um, uh, dark Knight rises when, um, Batman is fighting, uh, Bane and Bane's like, Oh, well, you've merely adopted the darkness. I was born in it. Shaped by it. <laughs> like Do- Doki's like Bane. He's like, I was born in the Lucha Libre. I was shaped by it. You've merely, he's telling master Wato, he's like, you've merely adopted it. <laughs> so I think like it fits his whole, uh, you know, story in that, like he is resentful of these kids who came up through this fancy dojo system, got an opportunity to work the big companies on a, on a one to two year excursion. And then they get to come back with open arms and like, Doki never got that. Like he's a old vet who's just now getting his big break in New Japan. Makes all the sense in the world why he'd want to attack a kid like Doki, you know, right. or a kid like Wato. Right. Yeah. He calls them hipster luchas, hipster luchadors, and so yes, he, that's his big reason for attacking Kawato or Master Wato, excuse me. And yeah, so a lot of the frustration coming there, and so yeah, so it, it makes total sense. But at the same time, you know this. Kind of the low card Doki, so yeah, expecting Wato to get the win here. I'll be very surprised if he loses to Doki. I just want to make a correction here. Uh, you made a you, you apologize for calling Kawato. Let me be clear, Jeremy. You have the permission of this podcast to call him Kawato as long as you want until he proves to us what exactly it is that he is the master of. <laughs> Once we know what this man is a master of. Then we will show him the reverence that he is and the respect that he deserves. Until that time, he is Kawato. I don't care. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So what's the next matchup we got here? So we've got Bushi and Sonata, two losers who got eliminated from the New Japan Cup, taking on two other losers from the New Japan Cup in uh, Taiji Ishimori and Yujiro Takahashi. Yeah, should um, should be a fun little match here. 
Um, not expecting two and, th- two, two and three quarters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not, not expecting much here. Uh, I'm going to go with LIJ, probably Sonata getting the win over Yudro. Yeah. I mean, this is something you see oftentimes at the end of tournaments. Uh, this kind of sound feels more like a, uh, tag, like a post world tag league type of, you know, like world tag league final sort of tag match, you know? Like, there's no real stakes for it. It's just a consolation match. That's what this feels like. I mean, what's the heat between Bushi, Sonata, Ishimori, and Yujiro? I mean, there is none. It's just interfactional warfare. So it's just kind of taking up space. It should be fine. Yeah. I don't know who you got here. I got uh, Sonata going over Yujiro. Yeah, that makes sense. Although Bushi could always lose to Taiji. It's possible. Yeah. You got two pin eaters there. I mean, who knows? But yeah, I'll, I'll ride with you. I got Lij Sonata's gonna win. So next up, we have Rishi Gucci and Yuji Nagata taking on El Esperado and Minoru Suzuki. Now this one makes a little more sense because although, again, it's a consolation match, Nagata and Suzuki was freaking fire during yes. the first round of this tournament. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I've noticed that they've been paired off ever since that match in multi-man tags when they're on the card. So part of me is kind of hoping we get a, a singles rematch at Dominion. I hope we get like a like a year-long feud between Nagata and Suzuki. And then when Nagata and Suzuki go to wrestle each other, um, Nagata gets seconded by Jushin Thunder Liger. <laughs> <laughs> and it just is – it's like a – this is basically um, – this is New Japan's version of Triple H, Sean, and Taker, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, but this actually this is a tag match I'm actually looking forward to because I actually like Taguchi a lot. I like Desperado a lot, and I can't wait to see Suzuki and Nagata go at it. So hell yeah, yeah, it should be a good tag match. Also, I'm pretty sure Suzuki's going to win here. I see Taguchi getting beat. Yeah, gotcha, pod driver all day. Yeah. So what we've got next? We have the team of Sho, Toriyano, and Tomohiro Ishii taking on the team of Hiromu, Shingo, and Naito. Yeah, so once again, this is uh, mainly previewing the show and Shingo never open with title match. It'll be happening the next night at Dominion. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure it's going to be very similar to all the LIJ tags we've seen on this tournament with the focus being on Sho and Shingo. The thing is, is you know, usually we we criticize New Japan for not doing a great job building up title matches. You know, oh, they should have done more, yada yada. Show Shingo, they did enough years in advance to where they've built up enough good faith between those two guys. All they needed to do was after that one match in the second or first round, they didn't need to do much more. Like they've been doing a good job, but it's fine. Like this match, again, you're right. It's about showing Shingo. But they've already done so built up so much equity that I could care less. I'm ready for it. You're ready for it. Everybody's ready for it. This thing's been going on for years now. What I want to know, why the heck is Naito in a multi-man tag match literally right before the Okada Evil Finals? And how is any of this six-man tag going to play into his upcoming challenge? Because it doesn't feel like it will at all. I don't, I don't think it is at all. <laughs> and that's not really a good idea, in my opinion. Like, I get why it's second from the top. 
but I kind of feel like Naito needs to like, I'm sure he'll come out regardless of who wins, whether it's Okada or evil. Hopefully you would hope so. Right. But it's sort it's sort of like, why is he wrestling right before that? Yeah. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And I feel like Sonata should be in this match more so than say Hiromu. I don't know. I think you could, could have put Hiromu and Bushi in that match lower and had Sonata in here, and maybe there could have been some tension between somehow they could, li- you know, play it into the whole story with Evil. I don't know. Maybe I'm just overanalyzing. I guess I just want to run back the Ishi Hiromu uh, interaction. I guess. Hey, I'm all for that. I don't, uh, you know, I don't want to try and make the match crappier, but <laughs> I also. I don't know. I'm just wondering. I mean, there are some people who are listening who are like, you're spending too much time on Naito. Like, let's get this bum out of here. They're they're praying that on the 12th he loses. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, New Japan Cup Finals main event, Kazuchika Okada versus Evil. What do you think? Who's, who's taking the big win here? Who's winning the New Japan Cup? I am seeing a lot of fans... Online, I am part of many, many, many New Japan and Per Resu groups online. I don't even really contribute much to them. I just kind of observe silently. And I've seen a lot of people think Okada's winning this thing, like a large percentage. But then on, say, Twitter, with the kind of like internet bubble that we operate in, it is a heavily overwhelming idea that Evil's winning. I think Evil's winning here, um, mainly for this reason. And here are the reasons I think that it's happening. Um, Okada just wrestled Naito in January. I don't think Okada should lose back-to-back to Naito. And I don't think Naito should be taking a loss to Okada at this point either. Neither of those scenarios really make a lot of sense to me, given their long history with one another. Also, given the fact that it's still one of the biggest money matches that they have, They've only done it once in like two or three years. And they could really draw big money doing it again down the line. So why do it in front of a one-third capacity Dominion? None of that really makes sense to me, you know? But when you think about Evil, first off, he's beaten Okada before. A lot of people don't remember that, but he beat Okada during the G1 was it two, three years ago? I think it was uh, two years ago. It was set up the King of Pro Wrestling. Was that 2017 King of Pro Wrestling? Yeah, people forget he had a King of Pro Wrestling title match against Okada. Um, the funny thing is the match where he beat him in the G1 was much better, in my opinion, than the G1 match was. Yeah, I agree. But but they've had several matches against one another. So they actually have a good history. They can have a good match. But Evil has, in my opinion, the more compelling story. Uh, the implications of what happens if it doesn't end up being Evil Naito is more compelling. There is a LIJ fan base that is just dying to see an interpromotional match between these two guys, and they were going to do one. Th- they're going to sell out. I think they already did sell out, but they're going to sell out the the one third capacity Osaka Joe Hall, regardless of who it was. Why not use this as an opportunity to take a chance and build a new star? which is something that the New Japan Cup has been known for, especially in modern years, rather than put it on Okada. Like, last year they did Okada, and that's another reason. Okada's going to go back-to-back again. Like, you're going to tire your fan base out. I know a few years ago, when people were upset about Okada having that historically long reign, 
and people are like, he always wins. And it's like, don't you see what they're doing? It made sense then. But at this point, business-wise, I don't know that it makes sense to take the belt off Naito. He hasn't even had a chance yet. You know what I mean? Right. Now, I'm not even the biggest Naito fan, but like, let's see how it plays out. If you just go straight, I don't think the company is that fear, unless hypothetically, let's say the company's not doing so hot. They're not totally sure they want to go with Naito. Maybe they had pre-COVID. Maybe their financial worries are concerning them, and they do decide to just go back with Okada because he's tried and true. That is a possibility. But I think they've got – I think Gato's got a plan. I think he's got a story in place, and I think Evil is winning. And one last thing I want to say. Dave Meltzer said previously that the booking for this tournament might have changed a little bit, but that wh- whoever was winning it was going to win it to begin with. I don't know that that's the case, but – it. You look at the the brackets, if they were going to go with Evil before, it totally seems plausible now that maybe that was always the swerve and maybe we were just working ourselves into this idea. We thought it was going to be Sonata and Evil at the end. Or I'm sorry, Sonata and uh, Jay White. Jay White. Maybe Evil's been the plan all along, the whole time. Yeah, maybe it, maybe it's been Evil Okada the whole time. And a lot of people thought upset alert with Jay White Okada. Maybe the upset was Okada beating Jay White in the first round. And this was the exact plan the whole time, Okada versus Evil. Um, I believe their record, I think Okada's 3-1, and one, I think, against Evil in singles matches. Something like that. So, yeah, there's, there's a story there. Um, and yeah, I agree for all the points you made about Evil winning, and that's who I want to win as well. And that's who I think is going to win. I think Evil's going to beat Okada, get a big win, and then go on to Dominion to face Naito. So we did have a question here from at Weston Gibbon on Twitter. What do you think Okada will get into at Dominion if Evil wins the cup? Maybe Master Watoka could challenge him last <laughs> minute. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I literally don't know. Like, because here's the thing. They've done a fantastic job working with a limited roster. Um, and it's hard to say what's going to happen going into Dominion. I mean, the, Gato is just a master booker. They might have plans for him. He might just end up in a multi-man tag, you know? Right. They might just do your obligatory eight-man tag, chaos versus bullet club, and then move on. And then we'll see what's next for him at, say, New Japan Road or Summer Struggle. I kind of think that's what they'll do, unless they have a big angle. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, chaos either versus bullet club or LIJ. Some you know Sonata, Bushi, uh, Hiromi, maybe some kind, some kind of multi man, Suzuki Goon. Yeah, who knows? So let's take a look at Dominion real quick. So it's the following day, July twelfth, also in Osaka Joe Hall, one third capacity. We have Shingo Takagi defending the Never Openweight Title versus Show. Yeah, um, you know the the we have the almost. Well, we actually do. We have the entire uh, New Japan Cup final preview. We've got all the matches there. It looks okay. I mean, it's sort of honestly, it's a one man show or it's a one match show. It's Okada Evil and the you know everything surrounding that. It will be exciting because we've got fans again for the first time since February. But it's really a one match show, and it's not. It's more of a story around the match as opposed to the anticipation of what the match could actually deliver. On this night, though, we've got bangers, and we just got Shingo and Show a few weeks ago. Some call it the match of the tournament. I think it might be what it's definitely in the top three. I think everyone kind of agrees on that. And 
for a couple of years now. It's been one of my favorite feuds in the entire company. And I can't wait. Show Shingo, sign me up absolutely all day, every day. Yeah, I think it's going to be another phenomenal match, especially that they have uh, they have some crowd here. I mean, they had a phenomenal match with no crowd, so yeah, it should be another great matchup here, and I think Shingo's going to retain here. I think Shingo's going to retain, but we need to talk about this. Um, you know, a lot of questions have been coming out over, you know, the past few weeks because Shingo's got new attire, or I'm sorry, Show's got new attire, he's got, you know, his music again, which he gets every year, but every time he gets it, people are like, oh, are they going singles with him? <laughs> but then on the flip side... Yo was in this tournament. He had new attire. He had new music. And people are like, oh, is it time for them to go separate? Never mind the fact that they've got the IWGP Junior Tag Championships. But Yo has recently been injured. I know we're going to talk about it in the news. I know people are asking questions about it. But I think we should discuss a little bit about it here. Yo's out of the picture. He's injured. We don't know how long. But does that open up a possibility? Maybe. That now would be a good time to put the title on show. It is the never open weight title. It does switch hands quite a bit. It could happen. Yeah, you definitely open up that chance there. Um, Yo, with a torn ACL, he's going to be out for a long time. So yeah, you could, you know, put the title on show here and have him have a singles run and kind of build him while Yo is out. With that all being said, I got to be honest with you. That was just me playing devil's advocate. Shingo's gonna fuck up show. Period. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was like literally like that was a fluke. <laughs> that show beat Shingo. Shingo is pissed and he's coming for that ass. Like he's gonna beat him, bro. So uh next up we have Golden Aces uh defending their titles against dangerous techers. Um so the entire build to this feud, we've pretty much seen Dangerous Techers beating the crap out of Golden Aces. And not only that, but specifically we've seen Taichi beat these guys, get the better of them, and hold their belts, stand tall over them. And in Western wrestling, you would normally think, oh, this is all to make the challengers look really, really, really strong so that the baby faces can beat the bad guys. But I'm looking at this card. It's been a long time since we've had a title change of any sort in the company. Golden Aces are a thrown-together tag team, whereas Dangerous Techers have been tagging together for a couple years. I think that Dangerous Techers might win these belts, for real. There is a good chance. Uh, you know, Part of me has your thinking as well with Naito, with uh, Golden Aces. Like, they really haven't had a chance. Like You could you know, do some... Houses, good business with you know, Tanahashi and Ibushi in the main event defending the titles. So maybe they want to hold it on to, on them for longer. But then again, you got to look at the holistically the tag division. There's not many credible heavyweight tag teams right now, and so you could always switch the belts back and forth. So you could have Danger Tickers win here. And That's what have, I think's happening. You have Golden Aces have to come back. If Dangerous Tickers lose, and there's no other tag teams in the company right now. What are they going to do next? Especially with Sho and Yo in the junior division vacating the belts due to the injury for Yo. There's not even champions down there, so there's no one to draw with. You know what I mean? And they barely have a division there. So you really need something here. Now let's just 
let's look at the flip side of things. Let's say Golden Aces win. Okay, they beat Dangerous Techers. They're out of the way. Who's next? Great Bash Heel. <laughs> Tenkozy. Bro. <laughs> Bro, those are not two teams that you can draw. You can't draw houses with them. Think about it. I don't I don't know who else they could wrestle. Uh, Suzuki and somebody, Suzuki and Desperado. <laughs> the, the 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 um the tag division was already weak pre-COVID, and the other two major tag teams that you really had going, well, there's three. You had Sonata and um, Evil. That's always an option, I guess, depending on how things play out. But I don't know. The other two are Juice and Finley. And G.O.D., and they're both stateside right now, so there's no chance of that happening. I think Dangerous Techers are going to win the belt, and that gives the Golden Aces something to chase against. I feel pretty confident they're winning those belts. And a lot of people are probably like, that's stupid because they've been winning all the, like, they've been standing tall and beating them the whole time. And I'm like, I'm thinking, like, yeah, that's the booking idea. Is that like you're supposed to expect for Golden Aces to retain the belts? They're not going to. They're going to lose them and then probably chase after them and probably regain them, say, during Summer Struggle. Yeah. That's what I think is happening. Yeah. And we've seen That's, this with Gale's booking several times where the challenger is made super strong and just ends up winning. <laughs> so. Yeah. He does that all the time. It happens a lot. The other thing, too, is um, we've also seen where. Tag team titles just get switched back and forth. Think about that one year where it was like G.O.D. And uh, um, I'm trying to remember who the th- – oh, yeah, it was G.O.D. And I think Killer Elite Squad and I think the yeah, other War team Machine. Was, was War Machine. And the three of them just kept trading the titles back and forth. That's why like – that's why G.O.D. has like six title reigns. They've got <laughs> – <laughs> you know? So they don't – these titles are not see- held in high regard. But if the Golden Aces retain, they don't have any challengers. So I think Dangerous Techers are winning. Yeah, I'm going with Dangerous Techers also. It makes a ton of sense here. And while I haven't been a huge fan of the singles matches that these guys have had against each other during this New Japan Cup series, and I actually haven't even been a big fan of the post-match angles, Dangerous Techers have proven themselves to me multiple times during several World Tag Leagues that they are one of the best. If not, I actually, I think they might be the best tag team in New Japan. That's not saying a lot. Right. <laughs> Pretty easy bar think, there. <laughs> but I do think that like over the past two years, they might actually be like the best tag team in New Japan, especially since like G.O.D. and Rapongi 3K are both out of commission for the time being like... It's not a bad idea to put those titles on on them. Plus, ZSJ doesn't... I mean, what's Ibushi and Tanahashi and ZSJ going to do in the meantime anyways? Right, yeah. There's no, one, there's no one to wrestle. Yeah, so, yeah, it makes a ton of sense here. Yeah, dangerous takers, let's go. Bro, you, you guys are listening to the Ace of Podcasts. We called this shit. And next week, if it doesn't work out the way I'm saying, I'm not going to address it at all. We're just going to move on. If we're wrong, our predictions are for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> Always remember that. <laughs> and then in the main event of the uh, of the evening, we have the um, <laughs> we have Naito defending the double titles against either Okada or Evil. 
Yeah, and I think both of us were in agreement here that it's going to end up being evil. Yeah, but last week we were in agreement. We thought it was going to be Sonata. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we suck. We, we we can't we can't count Okada out. You can't completely write him off. But I think the story obviously has been revolved around evil. I think it makes more sense. I think it's a more compelling matchup than doing Okada versus Naito again right now. How about the free match of the week this week was the match between um, Okada and Naito when Okada won the title or when Naito won the title from Okada? Yeah, Invasion Do you think that's a red – was I, it Invasion Attack? Yeah, 2016. Um, that's right. I think that it did that to throw us off the scent. They want you to think, oh, they throw a preview. Oh, so it's going to be Okada Naito. Then nah, swerve, bro, swerve. Everything is evil, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I 100% agree with you. I think that, uh, I think like Gato's back there doing that meme where he's got his finger to his head. Just looking at us like knowingly, like he's trying to throw everybody off the scent. Like it's obviously going to be Evil Naito. He's trying to make us think it's Okada. He's like, they don't care about those matches of the week ever. And then the one time that like they care is this week. Like he called him. He's like, all right, this is what we're doing. Naito Okada, recommend a match of the week. <laughs> Do it. So yeah. Um, now here's the thing. I don't think Naito's losing the title either way. Unless they're making some big changes. Like, we cannot discount just how. I mean, first off, we know for a fact New Japan has lost, not only New Japan, New Japan Bushi Road, they have lost a lot of money due to not running shows, due to the ongoing pandemic across the world, as well as in Japan. They might, hypothetically, they might be looking for something to really. Shake things up. Now, I know there's some people who are thinking putting the the double titles on Okada or Evil doesn't sound that exciting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're just thinking about it in – I mean, Okada again, that's the one thought. Okada again, that's not so great. Then you think about Evil and then it's like Evil, the <laughs> mid-card guy with the makeup and the costume-like stuff? Like, nah. But there's a way they could do it. The story that they've been telling with Evil could actually be developed if they wanted to put the title on Evil, let's say. If they did something similar, what if what if Naito – what if that video about Naito versus Okada and they showed how Naito beat Okada, it involved a lot of cheating, involved a lot of attitude, it inv- and it was something that literally was the catalyst – I don't. A lot of people probably don't remember this, but Naito was the wrestler of the year that year when he beat Okada. That was the same match where after he won the title, he threw the, the IWGP title in the air and just let it fall. <laughs> I know a lot of people are expecting Naito to have this really long like title reign, but what if the swerve is that oh that evil is about to beat this man, and after and through some sort of really nefarious means, we've been people have been talking to us years. When are they going to start building new new stables? When are they going to switch things up? When is something exciting going to happen? After a three like three month long uh, layoff and no fans in attendance, this might be the perfect time to actually do it. And what better guy to do it to than 
aging Naito. Oh, <laughs> like, my gosh. They might have evil swerve this man, and after he wins the belts, throw them in the fucking air <laughs> behind his back and do something entirely different. Dude, what what if somebody Am I crazy? What if somebody from Lij helps Evil win, and that it's more than just Evil splintering off? Like, what if Bushi helps Evil win, and it's like Evil and Bushi are splintering off? I think that would be a shitty group, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but but what if it was someone like Shingo? <laughs> Shingo, yeah, or Sonata, or it probably shouldn't be Sonata, but what if it was Shingo? You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, or Hiromu, I don't know. Or I don't know. We've we've seen other. We've seen when people have defected from other factions. You know, like when Ujiro defected from Chaos, things like that. I mean, maybe there's someone out there that's kind of languishing in some other group that could join with Evil and help him. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not. I'm going to tell you right now. My official prediction: Naito's retaining. But the more I'm talking about it, I feel like if it is Evil. What if they just go all the way with him and just have him fuck up Naito and win the title? Because what other exciting title matches do you see on the horizon for Naito after this is over? Uh, Nothing really hot coming to mind right now. I mean, the matches that were kind of on the table that we have that don't involve people that he's wrestled before and don't involve LIJ members. We're basically Will Ospreay. That's, and who else? That's about it. Really? The other one was Kenta. He wrestled Kenta. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't remind me. <laughs> um, but then you look at LIJ and there's a whole slew of guys. He has not wrestled, but there are matches they could do, you know, but you, you look at Okada, he's wrestled him, you know, several times. They could draw money off that, but there's Okada. There's Ishii, they've wrestled, had title matches against one another. Um, Ibushi. I mean, Ibushi, they've had long-ass series. I mean, most of the guys that he would be defending the title against traditionally are people that he's had lots of matches against in the past. Even foreign heels like Chris Jericho, you know, once he comes back, you know. I mean, I guess there is always a John Moxley match out there, but they wrestled in the G1 this year. But, I mean, the majority of the exciting matches are, are guys from LIJ. Maybe maybe they do need to just take the <laughs> – maybe they need to have Evil beat his ass. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that could I mean, happen. What, what are you thinking, man? I mean, I, I'm, I'm a coward, so I'm, I'm going with this, the safe pick of – Naito retaining here and uh, and keeping the double titles, but um, I, you're 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 slowly talking me into Evil winning this thing. I I don't expect Evil to hold. I mean, let's not to get too far ahead of ourselves. It's still the IWGP title. It's still supposed to be something that's only reserved for like the tip tip top guys. So there's a part of me that's like, I'm gonna come out of fantasy land and get a little more realistic and think like. Should Naito be touching that title? Hell no. Unless maybe they got something really compelling for Naito that we just don't know about. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we did have a question here from Imp saying, with everything that's happened this year, does it feel pretty much a lock in that Naito will retain the IWGB Championship to at least Wrestle Kingdom next year? It feels like that, doesn't it? You would think that would be the way. You would think that way, 
And maybe that's why they need to take the belt off of him because it just – what we know at this point is we've got – after this, New Japan Road, Summer Struggle, and then at some point down the line there's going to be a G1 and obviously the champion's not going to lose his belt in the G1. Wouldn't that be a concept? Wouldn't that be a concept if the champion was defending the title every night in the G1? That, that would definitely uh, raise the stakes in the tournament. But then, like, you don't want that title, like, you know, flip-flopping all the time. So the guy who's the champion pretty much would need to retain it most of the tournament. It kind of takes – I mean, it, it's one. It's going to be bad one way or the other. Either they hot-shot the belt a few times or it's very predictable because the person who's the champion retains it for almost all or the entire tournament. So, now, I, mean, I don't know. Now, if Naito loses to Evil, could he win the G1? I guess he could, but I mean, I, we should talk about the G1 later, but I mean, who knows what the fuck the G1 is going to look like. We don't even, I mean, dude, look at what's happening in America. I mean, are we even, like, I don't even know if they're going to let Americans or people from the States go, go to Japan, you know? Yeah. Um, not saying that all the Gaijin workers are from America, but a lot, a lot of them are here. I mean, who knows if they're going to be able to go back. I don't know. Yeah. It might be a while before we see any of those guys, but I mean, um, in the meantime, yeah, if you're just really conservative, yes, it does feel like Naito will probably remain the champion. I don't know after these two shows if they're going to keep doing fans. I hope I hope they're able to from a health perspective because I hope things continue to clear up and be safe in Japan and improve. And they get to a point where it's not a big deal and they can just keep do you know, just do empty or uh, do fan shows. And we can kind of see what kind of drawing power Naito has. But right now, everything's so in flux because of how everything's played out. I mean, I don't I don't know what's gonna happen. And and you know, we could just be speculating this whole time. They might just put the belt back on Okada. They might just <laughs> choke two bitches out and just take that shit. <laughs> That's always a possibility. Always go back to the golden boy. Well, that's going to wrap things up for Dominion. There are seven to nine matches that are going to be planned for the event. Uh, they have a question here from PCN91. It says, so I know they announced the three title matches for Dominion, but have yet to put out a full card. Is there anything else you can see being added to the card between now and Sunday? Kawato versus Doki, the rematch. It's a grudge match, and it's going to be a steel cage I quit match. I thought you were going to say uh, hair versus hair. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, probably just a bunch of tag matches. Yeah, probably multi-man. Like, there's there's no other program that hasn't built up that you can really do a singles match from. So I think it's going to be a, just a lot of under, undercard tags that will help set up programs for the next tour. And I know it would be easy to complain and be like, oh, that sucks. But then it's also like... But we just got so many singles matches that it's kind of balanced out. It's like, yeah, would I love to see more singles matches? Sure. But there's no tournament and there's no narrative. So they need to do some tag matches. And also, these guys all deserve to get on a show with an audience to get a payday. So I'm fine with it. It's probably going to be a bunch of tag matches. All right, so real quickly, we've got to talk about Lions Break Collision. Debuted on Friday, last Friday, on NJPW World. Overall, what were your thoughts on Lions Break Collision? 
Uh, I thought it had good uh, production value. I thought it was pretty decent, easy watch, um, some interesting talking points. But again, it's a lot of the things we talked about. Most of it felt like it was sort of happening in its own little universe, similar to a lot of the U.S. stuff and not something that's really going to be regarded that much when it comes to the greater New Japan canon. I don't know. Yeah, overall, I, I really enjoyed it. Like you mentioned, I thought it had great production, probably one of the better production values of U.S. produced shows. Great graphics. I love all the graphics. Um, I love the whole the setup of the ring, the lighting, all that stuff. I thought all that stuff looked great. Um, but, yeah, I, I totally get Yeah, It does kind of feel like it's its own little thing, which I think is fine for now, obviously. Not many people, none of those guys are going to Japan anytime soon. So I think it kind of makes sense to kind of create something here. In the meantime, and get these guys some ring time and get them prepared for when they eventually do go back. Um, but they are telling stories here. Um, you know, we saw Clark Connors defeat Alex Coughlin, a 10 minute draw. We, we kind of know the, the story there of Young Lions and with Coughlin and Connors. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of with Fredericks graduating, they're kind of the two seniors of that, that class. And so they don't want to be left behind and they're trying to, you know, be the first one, the next ones to kind of break out. Well, the really interesting thing is Clark Connors is what's the official? Uh, he's the captain. That's what they're calling him. He's the captain of the LA Young Lions. So, and in the past, he has shown himself to be in a higher pecking order over Alex Coughlin. Is it Coughlin or Coughlin? I always mess it up. So, Coughlin. I he he tweeted something about this. I didn't know if he was joking. If he was serious, he was saying that it was pronounced Coolin. So I, I have no idea anymore. Fuck you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> now, that is someone who actually could be listening. No, but in all seriousness, um, in the kayfabe sense, Clark has always been higher than Alex, th- just the way they portrayed things. Um, but they went to a 10-minute draw with one another, and it's been a while since we've seen either Clark or Alex. And in this instance, Alex looked like he was getting the better of Clark going down the stretch of the match. And not only that, not only normally, hypothetically, in the past, Clark would have put Alex away within 10 minutes. In this case, he didn't. And not only that, Alex had him in an armbar pretty deep when the time expired. And it looked like he absolutely was on the verge. If they gave him, say, another two minutes, another five minutes, he might have even beat Clark Connors. So I know some people kind of complained. I saw some complaining about like, oh, they opened up with the Young Lion match and it went to a draw. It was like, first off, guys, it's a 10-minute match. <laughs> Second off, there's a story here. Alex Coughlin went 10 minutes with the captain of the Young Lions in Clark Connors showing that, A, he's on his level now, progression, and B, he might even be surpassing him. So it sets up a feud between the two of them, and it – shows that Alex has improved greatly and he's now to be he's a force to be reckoned with when it comes to young lions it's really cool right and also this show is obviously inspired by uh, lions gate project in Japan and it's following the same format I mean how many lions project shows that we see an opening match where there was a, a 10 minute draw between whoever Yagi Narita whoever was on those shows so and Jeremy what needs to happen in order for him to stop having those draws they need to get better than their opponent. No, no, oh. no. Oh, get more time. That's it. That is the key. 
That's what we've seen in several of these feuds in the past. These guys, neither of them, they're at a stalemate. They're at a point where neither one of them can put one another away within, say, 10 minutes. When they give them more time, that's the true test of who is the better man. And we can kind of see the progression of the feud. That's what's happening here. Clark Connors and Alex Coughlin, maybe they have another 10-minute draw. Maybe they have a, a little trilogy. I don't know. I can't wait to see what happens down the line. I hope that the next time they wrestle, it kind of gets um, referenced to. I'm sure it will. I'm sure Kevin Kelly and them will do their homework. And, you know, Samson's listening. I'm sure he's going to definitely point it out. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have the stats but, uh, ready. Who knows? You know, if they go 15 minutes the next time, maybe Alex is able to go 10 minutes with Clark now, but maybe he gets, you know, bridged and pinned 13 minutes and who knows, you know? Yeah. But it's, I, 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 I thought the match was fine. I didn't think it was blow away, but I thought it told a good story and I like what they're doing here. Same here. Yeah. I thought it was a good way to kind of open up the show there. Then we had the main event, the Alpha Wolf, Carl Fredericks and TJP defeated Jeff Cobb and Rocky Romero with Carl Fredericks getting the pin on our good friend, Rocky Romero. Our good friend beat our other good friend. <laughs> <laughs> so they open up this Lions Break Project show with the uh, interview that you, you guys might have seen recently where uh, Kevin Kelly was talking to a recently graduated Carl Fredericks. And they were kind of discussing the fact that he is no longer considered a young lion. Uh, apparently he was going to uh, allegedly make, based on what he said in the interview, he was going to make his, uh, you know, graduating debut during the new Japan cup, uh, in the first round. And that it obviously things didn't work out due to the COVID, but, um, you know, this evening would kind of mark the debut of his new gear, his new attire, his new attitude. And I did see something people were kind of alluding to, and I totally agree. They were saying, you know, the idea that they, A, started the show addressing the fact that he was graduating, and then B, highlighted him as the main focal point of the main event, just kind of shows what kind of investment New Japan has in him as a talent. And what kind of hopes and aspirations they have for him as far as his trajectory is with, with you know, with just everything. Yeah. I mean, we've seen the fact, we, we've just seen how he's been pushed, how he won the Young Lions Cup, and how he's been featured in some, some other tournaments and given opportunities that usually like, Young Lions don't get. So New Japan is definitely invested in Carl Fredericks. And we have a, a couple questions here about uh, Carl's debut and his match. Uh, first from Rambo and Slam Pig. Did you and did you see Carl Fredericks in his new look at Lions Break Collision? What are you thinking with the dangly earring and millions of tassels? I feel like he's a surefire star, but I don't know if this is the look that will take him to the top. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, it's funny because, like, you know, for me as a, like a kid, we're not that too far off in age from Carl Fredericks, honestly. And you know, me growing up. I loved guys that wore tassels. Like, I just did. I loved the Rockers. I loved Ultimate Warrior. I loved Tatanka. Anybody who had tassels, I just thought they were, like, the Ross fucking thing. Like, <laughs> for real. And um, it's been a while since you kind of see... I mean, I know some guys would do it, but it's been a while since you see, like, a top, top talent that, like, kind of breaks out tassels. I'm not saying that he can't get over with that, but... I thought the look was interesting. I, it definitely had mixed reviews. Yeah, and what I thought about, um, you know, we interviewed Carl a few months ago. You can check that out on the archives. We, we interviewed Carl, and he talked about, you know, wanting to represent that Native American 
um, you know, part of his of his ancestor, of his history, of his family, and he wanted to represent that in wrestling and in New Japan. So well, the tassel kind of made sense, kind of a, a Tatanka kind of look, but I don't know. I really liked the look. I thought he looked cool. Um, I don't know. I liked it a lot. I don't think it was necessarily bad. I'm just thinking a lot of people kind of view him as hypothetically being a top drawing star, you know, for instance. And I think there is a certain idea of what a top guy looks like in North America. And so I think some people are thinking like, you know, a guy in tassels isn't necessarily going to be that ideal. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Which I'll tell you, I like the tassels. I do think the earring was a bit much though. Like that kind of like was kind of the same way how I don't really love the scarf on Robbie Eagles. I don't really love (laughs) the dangly earring on Carl Fredericks personally, but you know, that's his prerogative. I don't know. I mean, I, I think the main reason I don't like it is because I feel like it's a hazard. Um, and also it's not 1992. (laughs) So, So I don't know. Yeah, maybe if he wants to wear it for the entrance and like take them off before the match so that they don't end up getting ripped out or something. But um, yeah, they have too much of a problem with them. But yeah, overall, I like the the his, his appearance, the gear, the kind of presentation of him. Thought it was good. It's very clear though that they've got big plans and big hopes for him overall, and I thought he did well in this match and in the presentation. So, you know. For instance, just throwing an example out there, the first time I saw Brody Lee in AEW, I didn't really like his gear either, but I liked his presentation, and they very quickly adjusted it. Now I think that you know his ring gear is pretty good, actually. You know, a lot of guys come out their first time, new gear, you know, new presentation, and it's not, it doesn't hit, you know. So who knows how he'll end up feeling about it or other people? But I'm sure this isn't like his end-all, be-all look. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I'm sure he's going to make adjustments while he's kind of like learning who he is and figuring things out. Look at Juice, how Juice dressed when he first... I know that... I know right now Juice's... Juice's last gear isn't the ideal, but like Juice versus how he was when he first came out versus now is like night and day. So, I mean, that's another... You know, there's going to be some growth and there's going to be some evolution for, for everybody. Uh, next question here from Reddit user Just a Little Bear zero one. Given Carl Frederick's promo at the end of the first Lions Break episode, would you think more he's being set up as the Lone Wolf, or is he building himself a pack? And why do I hear NWO Wolf Pack music in my head now? I wouldn't say that this was a great promo necessarily, but I would say I loved the things that Carl Frederick said here. You know, um, it was definitely real. The things he, the way he was talking, he was coming fresh off a match. He was definitely like spent from having wrestled the match. So, I mean, there was a lot of emotion there. Um, I didn't think the delivery was necessarily what you look for from a great promo and the timing and everything. But the words he said indicate to me, if if I were to take a guess, it didn't sound like like necessarily someone who was trying to go off and be this lone Sting-esque type of character. Sound like someone who was alluding to the idea that they're going to start their own faction. That's what it sounded like to me. Like he's going to be the alpha. He's going to be the leader of the pack. But the LA Dojo eventually is going to like become when they all graduate. They're going to become a faction, and he's going to be the leader of it. Could he call it the Alpha Club? 
<laughs> uh, La Champion might have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I don't know if that's exactly what they're trying to do, like bring in all the um, LA Dojo guys into his group, if he even has a group that is. So I wouldn't, but I'm not opposed to that idea necessarily. Um, this also could be a case of there's not a lot of oversight. Guys are given the opportunity to kind of say whatever they want to say, and it might not mean anything. Right. You know, we've seen a lot of guys make claims that don't amount to anything. Right. It was one of those post-match kind of media type promos. It wasn't like a pre-tape or like a normal kind of promo. It was a post-match promo where they, guys kind of say what they want back there, and sometimes it doesn't end up coming true. <laughs> you know what I would love? I would love that he had t- taken – the uh, opportunity to cut a promo and said something that like Gato hears it, didn't know about it. And then it sparked something in him. And he's like, Ooh, why don't we do that? Why don't we go that way? Yeah. You know, you, 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 it's that whole Vince McMahon, like grabbing the brass rings thing. You know, this, this guy's trying to go out there and grab, grab the brass rings. Like, fuck it. Yeah. Like give him an opportunity. Let's see what happens next. Like I would love it. Maybe it does lead to something really cool. Yeah. it would be dope. Uh, last question here from Reddit user Viking Pain says, which attire did you like least, Kawatos or Carl Fredericks? And thoughts on Lions Collision show overall, and who between the Kawato and Fredericks has the higher ceiling and the lowest floor on the main roster? Um, I would say I didn't like Kawato's initial, just, oh, just everything about him, like everything about it. Everything about it I didn't like more than Carl. But I would tell you the truth. I didn't love the presentation of either of them, personally. That's just my, that's my take. But at the same time, like Carl still had a match and still looked good and still cut a fire promo, and he still he still Carl Fredericks. I mean, just look at the guy. Like, <laughs> you know, what I mean, like he's got star written all over him. Kawato, I don't know, man. Kawato <laughs> went out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I, I definitely like Carl's attire way more than Kawato's. Um, I think Carl definitely has the higher ceiling. I could see Carl being in that top main event mix. Bro, I the moment I saw what was going on, I, I got to tell you, I could see Carl Fredericks winning an IWGP title at some point. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying that that's a lofty goal. But I'll tell you right now, if five if ten five to ten years from now he hasn't held it once or twice, I wouldn't or like or let's say in five to ten years he has, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I would not be surprised given the type of push they're giving him. Look at him. He's bro, look at him. <laughs> he's got matinee <laughs> idol looks. He's a really great worker. Shabata believes in him. Like he's the top of his class. Like he can talk. He's got charisma. Bro, he's a freaking star. I think that they really wanted um who's the one guy? Yoshida? Uh, Ayato Yoshida, yeah. Ayato Yoshida was another guy who I was like, dude, they see money all over him. And who knows if I mean, I know he's like what he's probably he's working like two AW or like all Japan, something like that. Yeah. Uh I don't know if he'll ever come back. But that was that was a guy who I thought they saw big money in. I think they see big money in Carl Fredericks. Um I mean, they pushed freaking Jay White to win the title. Why not Carl Fredericks? You know what right. I'm saying? Right. And something I found very interesting was the fact that he was supposed to debut this new gear and push in the New Japan Cup first round against Kenta. 
Could that have been a first round upset? Maybe. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, overall, Lions Brick Collision, I think it's a pretty good show. Uh, One last thing. We didn't even touch on this. He rolled up Rocky. Yeah, he got the pin on Rocky yes. Romero. Which, wow. um, which I thought was smart because, you know, he beat Rocky. He's a heavyweight beating a junior. Makes total sense. But he also didn't, like, put him out emphatically. What He didn't hit him with his finisher, whatever his finisher is going to be, if he even has one yet. But Rocky is an established vet, well-respected. And the fact that he beat him kind of was in his first, like, debuting, it's like, yeah, it's, it's big kind deal. of a big deal. I also had a thought, what if, and I know that this is a little bit like maybe too much on the mark or whatever, but what if like, what if the next tag team is Carl Fredericks and Toa Hanare? You could do that. I've got this feeling like, you know, Toa Hanare has been like getting in great shape. He's got that Muay Thai. He's been like, and he's also, you know, kind of like a Kiwi, like his, his whole gimmick is like, he's a Kiwi. And then you've got like Carl Fredericks, uh, you know, kind of going into his heritage being like, you know, Indian or whatever, or native American. I mean, I'm, I'm native. We, we all just say Indian. So it's whatever, but, uh, you know, kind of playing into that. And like, what if those two guys kind of united, I think they'd be like, like a really good tag team. Yeah. Both of them young, a lot of fire. Yeah. That, that could be a good team. So, uh, I know, I know we've got people on record confirmed from new Japan that definitely listen to this podcast. We used to, we used to like wonder about it. We know for a fact that they do. If you're listening, send word up gentlemen or ladies (laughs) (laughs) book it. Uh, so we do have the lineups for the next couple of weeks. So, uh, this coming Friday, July 10th, it will feature DKC versus Russ Taylor and who who? <laughs> I don't know who either of those guys are. So they're, they're two independent stars from the, the West Coast scene. They've had trials before with New Japan or have worked some you know shows with like guys like Narita and stuff like that. So uh, they're giving a shot here. And I'm not familiar with either of these guys, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, this matchup here. And then the main event will be Danny Limelight versus TJP. Then the following Friday, July 17th, it'll be Carl Fredericks versus Mysterioso one-on-one, and then Filthy Tom Lawler versus Rocky Romero, which kind of starts the partnership with NJPW and MLW. And then on July 24th, we'll have Filthy Tom Lawler versus Alex Coughlin and Mysterioso versus Danny Limelight. And then the last one that's taped, July 31st, we'll have TJP versus Rocky Romero and Jeff Cobb versus Carl Fredericks. Yeah, that Carl Fredericks uh, Jeff Cobb match—that's like the one thing that really like stands off of the page for me. Yeah, and kind of the whole kind of feud they've been building from that first tag match. So that should be a lot of fun. Oh, that's right. There was a huge pull apart and disrespect between the two of them during that first match. So that makes total sense. I mean, obviously, I'm excited for Filthy Tom. I love Filthy Tom. I have. I've been. I mean, I've been watching him since he was in the UFC. So absolutely. But I mean. You look at all the matches, uh, TJP versus Rocky Romero is also interesting because they're both Inoki Dojo boys. So it's kind of like coming a full circle sort of thing um, on that 731 show and then Cobb versus Fredericks. But yeah, this I, I like this show. It's pretty cool. I don't know what it's going to do long term for them. 
but yeah, it's a cool opportunity. So, I mean, I enjoyed it for what it is. Yeah, it was real cool. All right, so we have a few news items we need to get through here, and I know we got a lot of off-topic questions. I think we need to punt those to next week, go through the news real quick, and go through the recommended match of the week. Um, and, yeah, end this show uh, so it's not longer than three hours. <laughs> um, so in the news, we talked about it earlier, Yoshihashi has a right knee injury. Yo, uh, torn ACL Left knee, uh, so both these guys injured, gonna be missing some time. Uh, question here from ready user Viking Pain says, Unfortunately, it seems that Yo and Yoshihashi are going on IR with injuries. What do you guys think will happen to show now a move to heavyweight, a new junior partner like Rocky, a big singles run in the junior division? Well, I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of the speculation we, you know, discussed earlier. What does the rest of the year hold? We don't really know. It does seem on a positive note, like more dates might be getting announced in the near future. Right now, we just kind of have, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that pretty much it? It's just New Japan Road and then Summer Struggle, and that's all we know right now, right? Right, and then, yeah, and uh, we'll talk about it soon, but G1's still on the schedule. And if G1 is still on the schedule, like we discussed, um, that changes a lot of things. So, I mean, for a guy like Sho, who knows? Um Given how things are sort of playing out with COVID, there could be a hypothetical G1 bid for him. I don't think that means a permanent, uh, like a permanent move to heavyweight by any means. But I mean, we don't know if there's going to be a Super Juniors. We don't know what kind of like junior opportunities even st- like are out there. I I don't. I mean, like, how are him and Rocky even going to tag together if Rocky can't even get to Japan? Right. <laughs> You know, uh, we do know for a fact that they are going to be va- – they're vacating the junior titles. We don't even know what's going to happen with the junior titles going forward. Um, I, I would say right now, show is kind of going to be in what I would like to call the open weight division. He will probably be technically a junior, but I wouldn't be surprised if every now and then he's used in the heavyweight capacity if needed because they have a limited roster right now. Yeah, I mean, last year in the G1, we saw Osprey and Shingo compete as junior heavyweights in that tournament, and both of those guys were kind of floating in that open weight kind of vision. So I think that's exactly a great place for Show to kind of be in. And yeah, with G1 still on the schedule and not knowing who all is going to be available, why not throw Show in there and have him kind of do what Osprey and Shingo did last year? Yeah, normally I'd say that there's no need to bring him over. Normally I'd say no. But because of the fact that there is limited talent availability, it would make a lot of sense for them to bring them over. So who knows? And I would love that there still be – I would love for there to still be a, a best super juniors, you know? Yes. Yeah, I don't here. know if there will be or not, but if there is, then that's a great opportunity for him as well. Yeah. Uh, question here from Reddit user Flow. With Yo getting injured, what do you think is the future of the tag team division? I think that we, like last week, once, like either last week or the week before, we kind of discussed the, the junior tag division and who was out there, and it was pretty dire. There's not a lot of tag teams right now. Um, I'm sure they're not having a junior tag league this year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or at least I'm pretty sure. Um, and that title might just be vacant for a period of time until 
there are people that can compete for it, or maybe they put it on, say, Canemar and Desperado again. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, personally, I, I think they should just use this opportunity to, to scrap the titles and uh, just have one tag division, but knowing them, they probably wouldn't do that. Uh, but yeah, I think, when you, especially right now with limited talent, we really need this one tag division. <laughs> Here's the thing, Jeremy. I wouldn't disagree with you normally. I would agree. I mean, I think we're both pretty vocal. I think it makes more sense to have one tag division, make it open weight, you know. But here's the problem. They don't even really have enough tag teams between either division to warrant that as being a good idea. Right. You know what I mean? Think about it. Like, there's like two heavy, two maybe three heavyweight tag teams and one junior tag team, and that's it. So it doesn't even really benefit anybody that much Anyways, they're not going to draw with Desperado and Kanemaru wrestling, say, in the Golden Aces. Like, none of it really makes sense at this point. It'd make more sense if everyone was there. And then the, and then we'd have cool, like, matchups, you know, that you could be doing with, like, Rapongi 3K and G.O.D. and stuff like that. But right now, I mean, it's all just bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks. Uh, last question here from... Alex Watts, he says, I mean no offense in this statement, but I have to ask, two years from now, will Rapungi 3K be together or will we be calling Yo the Janetti? We like to joke about Yo being Marty Janetti because it's a funny thing to say, but let's be clear here. And I know this is a controversial statement and a lot of people don't agree with me, but I think that the majority of people who actually watched them in their prime will agree with this. Marty Jannetty was better than Shawn Michaels when they were a tag team. And that is just a fact. Um, and Yo's not better than show. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it, I don't know if that's the best uh, analogy, but anyways, um, also I hope that Yo doesn't turn out like Marty Jannetty because dude, I don't even, I mean like the funny thing is like that whole speaking out movement happened and like everyone kind of knows about Marty that like you couldn't even like, accuse him of anything because it's so out in the open and no one just cares like it's just literally he's it's just like so known that nobody <laughs> spoke out on him it's so known that no one even like spoke out because he wouldn't even be like blowing a whistle like it's already out there um but anyways um two years from now will Rapungi 3k be together maybe yeah i mean this this injury could have altered things originally like i said at the beginning of this year i thought this was gonna be kind of like the last Big year for them. They were going to have a year-long tag title run, get that, get that long one they never got, and then once they lost the belts, break up. But who Bro, knows now? You, we're, we're too optimistic when it comes to the tag division. <laughs> we're always like talking about these great I, lofty ideas of what they could do with rejuvenating the heavyweight title, tag titles, and the junior division, and that shit never happens. Like They don't care. <laughs> and especially with COVID, like, that's the least of their worries right now. You know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, who who knows what will happen? They're trying to figure out if they should go with Evil or Naito right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have seen some people kind of throw the idea maybe Yo should come back with Lij um, and kind of separate the team that way. But yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I think he's going to come back as part of the Wolfpack, Carl <laughs> Fredericks. Hey, you never know. Could happen. Well, maybe he'll come in a team with uh, Master Wato. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, so last few news items here So there was a report in, in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter and also kind of followed up What uh, Harold May said in Sports Illustrated About what's going on backstage Right now so backstage uh, The current backstage rules in place relate to talent and staff For the live events right now 
or let talent go under temperature checks twice daily and have to keep a log on every person they've been in contact with in between tests. They are tested constantly. Locker rooms in, are zoned and have staggered entry. All conversations are supposed to be limited. The previous buffet-style catering has been done away with. Instead, the promotion brings containers of food and beverages with the names of the individuals on them. The ring and ringside area are disinfected between matches, which we've been seeing. And in the interview with Sports Illustrated, Harold May did confirm that they are they have been doing COVID testing for the performers. Perfect. I hope that is the case. Um, the one thing, and it's just concerning to me, is that they have a huge PDF official statement, and it talks about everything that's in this, everything that's in here, every single part of it. It's in there, except for the COVID testing. The conspiracy theorist in me just wonders. Why is it not in the official document if they're actually doing it all the time? That's my one concern. I Now, granted, if it's coming from Dave, there's a good chance it's accurate. And if Harold May is saying it, I'm not calling him a liar. And we've had other people who have kind of disagreed with me and said that they're doing it. I just wonder why it's not in their official PDF about their protocols and procedures and why when they listed everything they're doing previously, why didn't they say it? Maybe it's just an oversight. Maybe, you know. And maybe it's something um, that got lost in translation, maybe. That is a possibility. And if they are doing it, bravo. So far, up until this moment, they have handled this entire uh, situation flawlessly and better than any other company in, in, you know, in the industry. And that was my one concern was that, if you know, why aren't they testing? And now we've got people saying they're testing. I hope they are. I just had reason to believe that maybe they weren't based on some of the statements they made. Yeah, I guess we'll see how it could be kind of confusing based on the original statements on what they said. And an official and and an official PDF, right? That had all the rules, procedures, and everything that they're doing. So, also in that uh, Sports Illustrated article, Harold May talked about um, New Japan's return to Japan and U.S. and what to expect for the rest of the year. The main thing is he mentioned that G1 Climax is still on the calendar for New Japan pro, wrestle, pro wrestling, and but that will, of course, depend on on uh, their own and local government's guidelines. So, if everything continues to go well, G1 Climax will remain on the calendar, and those shows will happen. Great. And like we mentioned earlier, the Monday free match is Okada versus Naito from Invasion Attack 2016. I think that's to throw us off the scent there for um, have Evil Naito and not another Okada Naito match. Um, like I mentioned, thank you guys for sending in the questions. So the ones that are off topic, we're going to punt to next week and we will answer those uh, next week. And- Wiz Factor, Viking Pain, Life is a Dragon. Agent Wallaby and Kyle Martin, we got you next week. Trust us. So let's also Life is a Dragon. What the fuck is up with your question? It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's the longest, craziest ass question ever. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to answer that one. Um <laughs> so recommended match of the week. Last week you recommended to me to watch uh Nagata versus Kensuke Sasaki from Wrestling World 2004 and holy crap. Was that a freaking <laughs> bloodbath? Oh my Bro. gosh, dude. 
freaking their heads were leaking. Oh my dude, the god that one point where the guy's laying on the mat and literally a pool of blood is building up from the freaking back of his head. Dude, this match was nuts. Bro, I told you. It's like one of those things that like someone tells you it's like, oh, this is the bloodiest match in the history of this company. And you're just like, oh, okay, you know. But like, how bloody can it be? I mean, there's no light tubes, there's no, you know, webs of, you know, freaking, I don't know, barbed wire, like barbed wire and C4. Like, you think it's not a death match? You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Right. It's like, how bad could this be? Oh, it's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. And and not only that, like it's it's so bloody, but it's also like a strong style fight. And yes. they're like just whacking. It is so good. Dude, they're freaking shoot headbutting each other. Um, you know, big forearm strikes. You know, suplexes, big strikes. Um, yeah, once they're busted open, they're both working on the cut. So more blood comes out from both of them. Yeah, and poor Red Shoes. He was wearing a white shirt <laughs> trying to ref this <laughs> match. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, dude, this was a bloody, bloody, crazy brawl. Definitely has to be one of the bloodiest matches in New Japan history. So if you still haven't watched Bro, that one yet. It, it, it's one of the bloodiest matches in wrestling history, yes, honestly. Uh, yeah, it is. It's Yeah, it's it's nuts. So if you haven't checked that one out yet, make sure you, you watch that one. Um, my recommended match of the week this week. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Y- y- you didn't tell me your final thoughts on it. Oh, dude, that is, I loved it, but it was like a crazy, just wild, bloody brawl. What rating would you have given this thing? Dude, dude I don't even know how to, <laughs> to rate that. Because it wasn't like they were doing like a bunch of high spots or like, it wasn't like a super long, dramatic match, but it was super violent, super bloody, very stiff, very well worked. Also, yeah, it was also something to mention. It was, um, I guess it was like a last man standing slash death match rules where um, it was knockout or submission. Because... Um, I noticed there was like a 10 count uh, attempt of 10 counts where guys were knocked down. And then Nagata ended up winning where he had a uh, Nagata lock locked in and uh, Sasaki uh, passed out or ref stoppage, however you want to call it. Uh, so that was interesting also. But yeah. I don't even know. You know I've, I've never heard that that was part of the rules. I just always, and maybe I'm just misinformed. I just always thought they were just counting the guys out because they were down. Yeah. Well, the, the caption on new Japan world said like life or death match. So, or something like that. Oh, uh, <laughs> that would make sense. You know, I've never actually picked up on that. And I mean, I've watched this match like three or four times. It's one of those matches where it's like, it's kind of like watching, uh, did you see Joker yet? Uh, the new one that came out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw that one. It's like, really good movie, but I don't know how many times I could actually watch it. You know, it's not going to be like casual viewing after <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what like Nagata and Suzuki, uh, Suzaki is like like I've seen it a few times, but I'm not like gonna like fire it up every day or anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty violent, but um, yeah. The funny thing is, like over the years, every time I watch it, I appreciate it more, and I think I I rate it a little higher every time. Like the first time I saw it, I was like four stars, and now I'm like I'm higher on it than I used to be. I don't know exactly where I am, but I'm like. It's kind of perfect, but yeah, I never picked up that it was a knockout and submission only or anything like that. Yeah, I think I'd be like four, four and a quarter in that range. 
Man, I don't know. It's pretty good. I'm gonna go higher than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you add uh, stars for for blood, so I could see why this, this will be five stars for you. No, but in all seriousness, like I I mean, like I love the house style of New Japan today, but like I missed this, and this was sort of the house style at one point where guys just came in and whooped each other's asses. Like it was kind of great. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, great matchup. Yeah, great bloody brawl. So the recommended match for this week will be Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Prince Devitt from Dominion 2013. I don't think I've ever seen this. Uh, did you watch this? I did. Now, did you li- did you like it? Keep in mind, this is Devitt Bullet Club. Tamatonga's out there. Carl oh, 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 Fredericks oh, 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 is out there. I've, I've seen this. I have seen this. I saw it. Um... I'm sorry. I, I I couldn't remember if I saw it or not. You know what I was thinking it was? Because I remember Tanahashi and Devitt, they had a match at the anniversary show. Right. And Devitt was a good – I've never seen that. And then I know that they've had a match at the G1 prior to Bullet Club, and I've never seen that. But this Dominion match where um, – this is literally right after Best of the Super Juniors, right? Right, yeah. After – after he beat Alex Shelley. Yeah, I I saw it on the um the weekly television show. What was it called? The the uh, New Japan on Axis. Yeah, I've seen yeah. this match. I don't remember how it ends. I think um I think he beats Tanahashi. He does. Yeah, I've seen this. Yeah, I thought the action in the ring was really good. Of course, you 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 have your bullet club shenanigans and interference, but outside of that, I thought it was a pretty good match. What made you select this? This is a random selection. Well, we've got Dominion coming up on Sunday. We've had junior, uh, juniors versus heavyweights in this New Japan Cup. So it's always a, kind of a great way to kind of mix both of those trends there and uh, go in the Dominion archive. And we've got this junior versus heavyweight matchup and a big deal of uh, Prince Devitt defeating Hoshi Tanahashi. Makes sense. Good selection. Good job, Jeremy. So, um... I think that is going to do it for this week's show. Yeah, that's going to wrap things up for us this week. Next week, we'll be back to discuss the New Japan Cup Finals and Dominion. So if you enjoy this show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, we are at KI Strong Style. Also follow us at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash social suplex. You also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash wrestling squared circle. On Instagram, we are at social suplex. On Reddit, we are pro black guy and Josh is keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at social suplex.com. You can check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have Wednesday Radio, hosted by Rich Ladder and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Fridays, we have Get In The Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's Yvonne. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.